I wish I never sold drugs. I wish I didn't come from a single mother household. I wish, you know, my mom used to tell me, you know, you're going to, she told me you're going to end up dead or in prison for the rest of your life. What's up, you guys? Today's guest is Chad Marks. He is a man from Rochester, New York. He is a white guy that got convicted for running a crack ring. You don't hear that every day. When he was 19 years old, he got caught up in a RICO charge, sentenced to 40 years in prison. I was devastated the day I got sentenced. There were times where I thought, man, I hope someone does me because I ain't got the balls to do it myself. I don't want to live this life. And while he was down, he became a jailhouse lawyer and a good one. He started winning appeals for other inmates. This kid was like, hey, man, I know you're always in the law library. We're locked down. I need your help. I want you to write this reply for me. His jailhouse lawyer ends up in the hole. I think he gives me $30 in commissary. I do his stuff. I win his case. And pretty soon, that was his entire hustle in prison. He was making a good living helping inmates either get their sentences reduced or get the cases dropped altogether. How how many cases did you have at a time in there? Sometimes you have four or five cases at a time. He finally got out on a compassionate release in 2020. He came home and now he has a thriving paralegal business where he literally helps thousands and thousands of inmates get their sentences reduced and get out on compassionate release the same way that he got out. I work with attorneys all over, right? Helping them understand, you know, some of the law stuff, some of, you know, the stuff that's been going on with prison. He's here today to tell us about his life transformation and some of these cases and the way that he's contributed to federal prison reform. In the beginning, it was not supposed to be punishment. It was supposed to be rehabilitation. But what does it take to rehabilitate someone? And if you want some of the rawest prison stories while he was down in the feds go over to patreon.com slash the connect show without further ado i give you chad marks and you are watching the connect with johnny mitchell let's get into it we did some bad to people man. i regret it and, and i you know now in hindsight you know that's you know that was that was the life that you it comes with the territory bro that's when i see lights behind me start to flash and i didn't even think i just hit it i was driving like my life depended on it. then i parked the car hopped out closed the door and i started running and he pulls out a burner shanks like six inches and then he passes it to me and he goes here that's yours don't ever leave the cell block without this he was the reason i made it out of that place alive chad marks my man <laughs> at long last dude What's going on? What's up, man? How are Thanks you? Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's for your first time in LA. Damn, bro. I didn't want you to tell people. Nah, yeah, first time. <laughs> <laughs> You're, first time. Uh, you almost got killed on Skid Row. Congratulations. You saw some of our finest tourist attractions. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. your, uh, your story is incredible, dude. You're like, you're the only white guy I know from Buffalo, New York, Rochester, oh, Rochester. I'm sorry. Uh, I wouldn't want to diss uh, Rochester by calling guys Buffalo. Uh, it is a grimy, I was up there last month doing shows, doing comedy shows. That is a real different part of the country. White guys are selling crack. You went to prison for selling crack. That, I don't think you understand how unique that is in American history. You know, I, I know white boys are going to the feds for selling meth. I know they're going to the feds for, you know, uh, uh, selling weed, but I never in my whole time down met a white guy who was arrested for selling crack cocaine. Was were you the only one when you were down that was there for that? The only white guy? Um, I mean, there's a few from different places, but not very often. Right. At least not back then. So you and is that it's just you just had you just had clientele? Like how did you get into it, I guess? Well, I mean, first I started out selling powder cocaine. Um, right. And my boy Booper, his whole family, his uncle was a cocaine dealer, his mother was a prostitute. Um 
And I kind of got into that seeing him. He was 13 mm-hmm. years old, 12, 13 years old, selling cocaine. And I'm like, man, I'm tired of being broke too. I want to do, you know, what he's doing. He's got new shoes on. He's got triple fat goose jacket. Remember mm-hmm. those back in the day? Yeah. And he's like, oh man, you don't want to do this. And I'm like, yeah, man, I do want to do it. And it, you know, that was kind of my introduction with him and another dude named uh, Yellow Boy. So, so and, and these are, you grew up, like your, your family, what was the family like? Okay. So pretty much a single mother, you know, on welfare household, grew up in the hood, in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Um, my father left when I was three, actually shot at us with a shotgun, left, went to Las Vegas with my mother's best friend. And um, eventually he stayed there for a long time. And my mother was a single mother on welfare for a long, long time. And have you talked to your father, you know, since growing up and getting out of prison? I did, but um, he did pass away. Okay. So. Do you have any kind of feelings one way or another? I mean, it was my father, right? And, yeah. and you would feel like, damn, man, you know, you want to love your dad. But there was a lot of involved in his relationship with my mom. And just where you're like, you know, he is who he is. And I did love him. I did care about him. But. I didn't meet him till I was 13. Didn't really know he was my dad until, you know, 12 or 13. And when I did meet him, he was a vicious drug addict, right? Probably one of the biggest weed dealers in my city, but he would go on crack binges, bro, for a week or two at a time. Wow. So That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, when did I you met ever him, sell crack to him? Well, yeah, that's part of the story. Um, I didn't want to personally sell crack to my father, but I had some crack spots, right? And I had workers. And what I would do back then is, you know, we would get a 62, which is two ounces, six grams. And we'd take half ounces and break them down into bags. We'd bag up about 800 and he robbed one of my houses. So when he went there and, you know, dude that was selling, you know, for me, he went over there and robbed the dude. So I ended up going to my father's house and we got into a physical, you know, confrontation. And he's like, damn, you're going to do this to me, bro. And he was high as a kite. And what did you say? Damn, you're going to do this to me. You robbed me, dad. Pretty much. (laughs) That's pretty much. That's where it went. And then he, I had my worker with me who was this young kid named Tony Adams and uh, he's a white kid, and my dad came running out with a knife. I'll kill that mother. And he, you know, he was looking for an excuse for what he did. But you robbed him. You robbed my worker. <laughs> right. And my boy's like, let's go, let's go. He's got a knife. <laughs> and so we put, we peel out. And then uh, pretty much our relationship soured, you know, from that point on. Yeah, I did, I, yeah, I could see that. I put my hands on my dad, bro. I hate to say that, but I did. How old were you at the time? I was probably, uh, I had just gotten out of state prison. I'd say 19, 20. Yeah. So you're still a young man, but so the conditions are ripe for criminality. Your father's a drug addict. Your mother's on welfare. You've got no supervision. You grow up. This is Rochester. This is a deindustrialized, you know, kind of a wasteland, uh, especially back then. Uh, So you're just, you're in the streets. You live that. What'd you go to state prison for? Uh, For an assault second degree at a two to six. Man. Okay. And how was that? What was that like? Uh, New York state prison at my age, I ended up committing the crime at 16, went to state prison at 17. I was in a place called Wyoming correctional facility, which was across from Attica. Got into it with some dudes over there with my co-defendant who's like my brother. And, um, I got stabbed in the face, got stabbed over here in the eye and we're in there fighting like, you Mm -hmm. know, seven, eight dudes at one time. They sent me to Attica. They sent him to Kasaki, which is definitely a dangerous prison Mm. in New York where they send all the youngsters at. And I went to Attica and from Attica, I ended up in Comstock, which is also another dangerous prison. Mm. So that state prison system is, it was wild. And that's when the bloods were really taken over at the time. Mm -hmm. So the bloods were beefing with the Puerto Ricans. What is this like the late nineties? Yeah, this is 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, all the way up to. Because there had never been bloods or crips in New York until that time. That was an unheard of thing. That was strictly like a West coast phenomena. Yeah. And my cousin is, um, I mean, he's a pretty well-known dude. They call him yellow boy and, uh, double nine G. So, you know, we, him and my, him and my brother end up linking up. I think it was in Kasaki and, you know, I brought my brother on my show and he's a blood. 
And he's a dangerous dude. A, a white blood? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know there's like Chinese bloods now. Like it doesn't matter anymore. Color doesn't matter. You should you know. interview him. I should have brought him with me. Yeah. He's a gangster for real. You're, you're such a jovial guy. When did, what were you, were you thinking at all about the future at 19 when you're getting in uh, knife fights in Kaksaki? Or uh, what, what is. Comstock. Comstock. What, what, uh, did you have any ambitions beyond being uh, a drug dealer? Of course. I mean, when you're young, you're my, I was money motivated. I'm still money motivated. Um, that's why I do all the that I do. It's I'm nonstop working. Um, whether it's the paralegal, whether it's YouTube, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, maybe buying bikes online from China and reselling them. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a hustler, bro, natural. Yeah. And that's, that's what I do. Yeah. But of course, always in my mind, I knew that I never wanted to have a life like the life that I had. You know, I didn't, I never wanted to be a, you know, a crackhead or, and you know, no offense to people that are drug addicted, but I never wanted that in my life. Mm. I wanted to move away from that. And I felt like money was the way out, you know, and people say money can't buy happiness, but it sure does make things easier, doesn't it? Yeah. And then you are happy. And you're not beefing about, you know, whether or not you can pay your gas and electric or mm -hmm. if your wife wants to go out and buy something or you don't have to budget to figure out if you can buy eggs this week. Right. So in my mind, I always wanted a better life, bro. And, and I thought I was getting it through the, through the drug game. And I eventually had a pizza shop, had a home improvement company. So I took that money and turned it into other things. And then I get busted and end up in federal prison. For oh, interesting. So you actually had rolled some of that street money over into legitimate enterprises before you went down. 100%. Oh, interesting. Okay. So now we're, now we're back out on the street after the state bid. Uh, are you selling crack? Selling crack. You know what? Did you know how to cook? Yeah. 100%. Okay. So and a microwave. Really? Yeah. Okay. But I knew how to cook crack, man, since I was 13. Um, not necessarily in a microwave, but <laughs> mm. you know, we were buying Coke back then. There wasn't crack back then when I first started in the game. I mean, I can cook it in a spoon. I can cook it in a microwave. I could cook it on the stove. Mm. I mean, I can cook. Yeah. Uh, did you, did you think, was it normal or did you understand what you were doing was, you know, uh, really, really federal as we used to say, we'd be like, damn, that federal. I mean, in my mind, I always thought the feds was for people that, you know, big time dope dealers, big time, you know, mob guys, never in my wildest dreams that I think that I would ever be in federal prison. Mm -hmm. I thought I'd pay a lawyer five, 10 grand. I'd get the Willard program, which is 90 days, like a shock program in New York state prison. And I'd yeah. get out. Yeah. You never thought you'd see uh, United States of America versus Chad Marks. <laughs> never. never. That's gotta be dreams. just blow the back your hair to the back of your head. 100%. What year did you, uh, you get arrested and what did that look like? Was it an, an indictment? Was it a Rico charge or so, was it just a, a raid? I get arrested February 4th, 2003. I had just left my pizza shop. I was meeting with somebody and I seen people and I, I'm actually on a wiretap telling them, Hey, you see them people right there? And he's like, yeah, hold up, pull up. So we pull up, we do a little exchange. We meet, I get back in the vehicle and then I see people following me and they block me in. I think I'm getting robbed. Um, not on no racial, sh but Everyone that jumps out are black dudes with guns. I don't realize that they got badges on. I'm thinking, oh, man, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. They're going to take me for ransom. But the reason I'm thinking that is because about two or three months before that, I had some cats that they robbed one of our houses. And when they robbed the house, they call, I, I had just dropped some stuff off there, like $5,000 in bags, right? And um, they say, hey, call the big man, call Chad, and tell him to come over here. And my boy calls me and says, hey, man, I need you to come through. And I'm like, come through? And in my mind, I'm thinking, damn, he must be doing great. That was like an hour and a half ago, two hours mm -hmm. ago. And then I stopped for a minute like, nah, something's wrong. And these cats actually robbed them, laid them all down, and they were selling the dope while they had them tied up waiting for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and I had a cousin that was mentally, he was mentally disabled a little bit, right? He's about six foot six. Um, God bless him. He died about a year ago. But he, 
I hate to say this, bro, but he was my best worker, right? You could put him in a house and you know, he's going to spend, you know, $20 on food and probably, you know, on a chick, you know, yeah. someone's going to show up. He's going to give him two bags and go in the back room. Yeah. And, uh, but he's not going to go anywhere. He's going to be a great worker. Yeah. And I mean, this kid, you know, you ever meet people that are mentally disturbed? They got like superpower strength and he's a big dude. Yeah. Bro. Well, good, like, goodwill. They're fantastic employees. He's 300 something pounds, six foot five, six yeah. foot six. And he's like, I, they told him to get naked. And he got embarrassed because he's got the mind of a 13-year-old. Yeah. He's like, I'm not getting naked. And he ends up, you know, leave, he storms out of the house They're like, with a gun on him. They're like, hey, get over here. He's like, man, I'm, I'm leaving. And he calls me. And thank God that he called me and said, hey, man, they robbed us. Now I don't come with nothing. But in my selfish mind, I'm like, damn, I got to get back over there. But I started thinking something. They didn't sell that much dope in, in two hours. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he probably saved me because if I would have went there, I'm sure they would have tied me up. So they robbed your uh, a, a house that you had, a crack house. Yeah. They just left everybody there and then started just selling crack to your customers. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting on me. That's I mean, the house dude. was rocking, right? Yeah. Like I, there's newspaper articles I could probably send how you. Many, how, how many spots did you have? Well, the newspaper said I had seven to nine crack houses in the city of Rochester at one time. Oh. Um, Not saying that's true. I probably had like four or five. And what, what kind of work were you moving like a week out of each spot, would you say? So, you know, sometimes like on a Friday night in bags at one house, we might sell a big eight. Um, that's four ounces, 12 grams mm. in bags. Yeah. So, I mean, you're doing great. That's, you know what that's I mean? good money. Uh, and that's one spot. That's one spot. So you're moving maybe like a, a brick, maybe two bricks a week um, out of all four spots. You could say, I would say maybe a brick, brick and a half. And this is hard. This is all hard. Or is it some powder? All hard. Uh, who was the re-up? Who was the connect? He was my co-defendant went to prison with me. Really? Mm -hmm. So he got tied in in the uh, indictment. Was it a black guy? Yeah, he got okay. jammed up because of me, for real. Wow. Okay, so flash forward to now, you got these black guys who you don't know are feds uh, jumping out on you. I want to uh, reverse for a minute and tell you the rest of the story about the dudes oh. that rob us. Oh, I'm sorry. So they rob us, right? And this all ties into when I get busted by the feds. They rob us. We find out who they are. It's a kid named Doughboy in our neighborhood just robbing everybody. So we go back over there, and I go over there with my co-defendant, Tommy Hardy, Wody. He ends up testifying on me later in the federal case. We go over to their house, and he unloads a, a full-round clip, bro, AK, 60 rounds in a minute. Bah, 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 Into bah, the house? Into their house, where they're at. Oh. So what happens is they come to us first. After they robbed us, we start saying, hey, man, we're going to find out who it is. They come to where we're at and they shoot upstairs into the house. And I got the transcripts. I can send you the transcripts so you can confirm it. Um, they shoot into the house. My boys are, hey, man, them dudes are out front. So we run upstairs. I move the window, right? My boys are downstairs with, the, with, with an AK. I run upstairs. There's a 12-gauge in the room. I open the window to look out and they shoot. Boom, boom. They had a 380. They shoot my boy in the arm. He's got a Jesus piece tattooed on his arm. They shoot Jesus right in between the eyes. And he falls on the ground. It's a big boy. Mm. Boom, instantly falls on the ground. I shoot back. We got a shotgun. I think four or five shots I shot back. We got a slug, bird shot, slug, bird shot, slug. And they take off. Now, after they shoot my boy, I go out there and look for these cats. And I shoot at them again with a 12-gauge. My boy's in the hospital. He gets out of the hospital and goes back with an AK and unloads on their house, 60 rounds. And the, the whole 60-round clip, bro, he let it go on their did house. Did he hit anybody? They weren't there. If they were there, they would have been dead. That's a promise. And Rochester's a, not a big town. Rochester's like a pretty small city million people but so how do you and do the ghettos there did, does it look like buffalo with with abandoned houses and you know pieces of land that nobody can build on like in the middle of the city is it is it hood like that 100 wow. percent. I, 
I did an interview with someone and, and people were on there like, and I said, Rochester is one of the most dangerous cities in the country. And someone wrote on there and said, oh man, get out of here. Well, if you Google it, you can just find it out yourself. Cause when they did that, I went and posted that on their stuff. I think we have top five poverty in the country. And yeah. One of the most dangerous cities in the country. Wow. That's because, because that kind of violence, that kind of like brazen shooting. I mean, that, that doesn't have, you're not going to find that in LA the cops will arrest you. I mean, I'm sure it happens, but like it's, it's the, the rust belt cities, the poverty and the violence is next level. That's no joke. Let me, let me give you an example. I'm sure you might've seen this in the news. We had a 16 year old kill a 12 year old in November, right? He had just got out of jail for a gun. We got no bail. You can just get out in Rock in New York. Now, mm. Kathy Hockle has the no bail. So you get arrested, right. you get out. Yeah. He gets out for the gun, ends up shooting a 12 year old and kills him leaves. They're like, I think they had an investigation according to the news where they knew it was him. Didn't have enough to get him. He's in PA. And he just recently, a month and a half ago, killed a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a 19-year-old. Went over there and sprayed their whole house because he was beefing with the, his homeboy was beefing with the 19-year-old. So two little boys, you know, lost their lives because this this yeah. dude's like, I yeah. mean, this, is, this is a product of Rochester, New York. And what do you do? And I want to get into that later when I talk about, you know, how you're, you've managed to get these people, a lot of these criminals out of prison that have, you know, these insane sentences. But you hear stuff like that and you're like, how do you... What's the redeemable quality of a, a guy like that? Even though he's a kid, but he's, you know, 16, but he's just killed four other children. You know, I, I, it's crazy. New York City's the same way. You know, you, you open the paper. I read the daily news every day and it's like, you know, 12 year old kills another 12 year old in front of the projects. Right. Shocking, bro. But uh, yeah, this is real old school drug beefing that you got going on. So he empties the mag into the, the, the opposition's house, doesn't hit anybody. Uh, how does this tie in, I guess, with, you know, the, the fall you eventually take? Okay. So eventually, you know, I get busted by the feds. He's not part of the case. I get busted by the feds, but the reason I get busted by the, one of the reasons they take me off the street is because me and him end up beefing. Eventually we end up beefing. And when the cops arrest him, they say, Hey, we had to get you off the street. One of you guys are going to end up dead. Um, they ended up you're beefing with your connect. No, I'm beefing with my homeboy. The kid oh, got shot. Oh, got it. Got he was it. one of my workers. His name's oh, Bodie. Okay. Um, I end up beefing with him. My connect is all right. He's. Did you have black guys working for you? Yeah. Wow. This so you're a black white guy. guy and you got black dudes working for you. My whole team was black besides <laughs> me and some, uh, one other white kid that I had was one of my main dudes. <laughs> this is unusual. It's man. crazy, right? They yeah. talked about it on the water cooler where I'm from the next when we got busted. The dude's like, it's like a WCMF rock and roll station. And they're like, how does this white dude got a bunch of black dudes selling crack for him? Right. Call in. Right. And I'm like, I hear this on the radio. Yeah. Um, and the cops in the county jail were telling me about it. Um, someone, a chick ended up recording it and I ended up getting it while I was in prison to, to listen to it. But mm. anyway, um, so this is how this ties in. He, we start beefing. He goes out on his own, wants to sell his own drugs because he was tapping the bags. You know what tapping bags is? Uh, so let's no. say we give him $20 bags, right? Mm -hmm. And he's taking pieces of crack out of the $20 bags and the bags are small. Yeah. So I tell him, hey, bro, you're tapping the And he's making an, an extra, what, 100 bucks by tapping the bags? Yeah. And the people are complaining. I mean, these have been my customers for years, yeah. right? They knew my dad. They smoked dope with my dad. So yeah. they're calling me, you know, hey, man, what's up? Yeah. And I go check the bag. So we get in a physical confrontation. He's a big fat, right? And I hit him and he falls in the tub. He can't get out of the tub, bro. So I'm on him, just wailing on this kid. And after that, you know, he gets out of the house and 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 the beef is on at that point mm. um, where he pistol whips one of my other workers and we go back and we shoot up the house that he was selling dope. Mm -hmm. we, we unload a uh, 12 gauge on his house. Um, and eventually they arrest me 
and he gets part of the, he becomes part of the indictment a year later. He, it's a superseding indictment, and he ends up testifying on it. But here's the crazy part, Johnny. This kid has a daughter with my sister. What? Yeah. He's your, he's like. No, a, he's not nothing to me, bro. But but he's all, he could be your brother-in-law. Yeah, he could have been, yeah. <laughs> Holy he shit. Been. So that's the, that's the other part of the story. Um, And he pretty much abandoned his kid and all that. He ends up getting, um, he cops out to 25 years. For and, what? For my conspiracy. Okay, gotcha. He cops gotcha. out to 25. They cut it in half. He testified on me. I think three to five days he was on the stand. Um, And he oh, testifies wow. on me. Tells about the time when he got shot and how I shot back and tried oh, to, really, okay. I'm trying to help him. Right. So he testifies and all of that stuff and they cut it down to 12 and a half years. He does 10 and gets out. Oh, okay. So this, all of, all of this was part of the indictment that yeah. they put you away with. So it wasn't just the drugs. It was the guns. It was the violence, all of that. Okay. Yeah, I'm sentenced to 40 years. I get five for the first gun, okay. which is a 12 gauge shotgun. Right. 25 years for a 22 rifle, which is outrageous, right? How? I'm going to tell that? you in one okay. second. And 10 years for the crack. And they all have to run wild. They're stacked. Five, 25, and 10. So the we guns call, we become, call that consecutive, which yeah. is incredibly rare, right? Like normally well, the sentences run concurrent. Not in, not in federal court. Trump changed that now. Instead of getting the second 25, now it's five. Five, five, five. If you have four guns, you can get five, 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 five. But before you would get five, 25, 25, 25. And they would stack them. And that's how they, you know, they just crucified you in federal court. Right. And it's felon. It's not felon. It's possession of a fire, firearm and furtherance of a drug trafficking crime. Right. Under 18 USC 924C. And how many, how much drugs do they get you with? Um, on that night, they ended up finding three keys of powder. They found 120, I think 125 grams of crack, um, some guns, a bulletproof vest, 10 pounds of weed, which didn't belong to me. Mm. Um, but they found 10 pounds of weed, which was pretty much, they didn't even give a about that. No, they, they I mean, they, they introduced a, it during the trial. I had a three-week trial, right. but it didn't really mean because. But, you know, they got enough crack yeah. and powder to put you under. And they did. Wow. Why, why did you take it to the box? Why didn't you plead out? What was their original plea deal? <laughs> well, I could have had a plea anywhere between 11 to 14. And I had one of the best lawyers where I'm from, paid 40 grand for a lawyer and got 40 years, right? But I was in an argument with the lawyer saying, hey, look, tell them to take the two points off for a weapon enhancement because they give you an enhancements in federal court. I said, get rid of the weapon enhancement so I can get the drug program. I can get another year off and then I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm cool. I'll accept the plea off. Yeah, you do like nine or 10 at that point. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, if he gave me 11, I'd probably do like seven and a half before I see the halfway house. Right. So my lawyer has this big death penalty case going on at the time. He don't have time for my case. He took, dude, once they take your money, a lot of times you can forget about it. Mm. You know, they're answering the phone until your family shows up with the money. Right. And then if you're calling them, now you're a nuisance. Now you're an issue mm -hmm. because lawyers are hustling, bro. Right. They're out course. there. They don't give a about the people especially defense lawyers man they're not like, saying all of them but a lot of them yeah yeah of course no they're they're almost as dirty as the drug dealers themselves because their whole business is propped up by criminals and, yeah. and dirty money um so so okay so why did you eventually why didn't you take that deal then okay so i don't take the deal because i'm telling the lawyer hey look get the two points off he's like i'm gonna work on it i'm gonna work on it and then the government supersedes me so now my mandatory minimum was 10 to life at the time. That Now they come back with the gun charges. They supersede my indictment, and the mandatory minimum goes from 10 to 40. Are you in jail at the time, or are you yes, bailed I'm out? Yes, in jail. Hell so yeah, you, could, jail. you couldn't make bail? There was no bail. Yeah. I was a, a threat to public safety, they said. Yeah. Well, they, they were violent dudes, They bro. might not have been wrong. Oh. <laughs> they, they, they did have a point there. We did some bad to people, man. I regret it, and, and I, you know, now in hindsight, you know, that's, you know that, was, that was the life that you... It comes with the territory, bro. You're selling dope, and... Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's what happens. People are. 
So, you know, the, the feds spent a lot of money that you took them to trial and yeah. you know, you probably didn't know this back then, but what is the fed uh, victory rate? in court. It's, it's like 97%. I can I, send you the statistics. Yeah. I thought it was higher than that. I thought it was like 98 or 99%. It's, it's, I, I think it's 97.2. I'll, okay. I'll Google it today. Yeah. yeah. But you know, and people are like, Oh, it's because everybody cops out. No, it's because they got you yeah. and people do cop out because why? Because they got you. Um, and when you get on a jury like that, you know, it's not people from the inner city. You get a bunch of hillbillies on the jury, people that are in your County or in the surrounding mm -hmm. counties. These dudes are farmers and, mm -hmm. They're like, put that song bitch away right there. And, right. and if they could care of less. Of course, of course. So. And what you're doing isn't affecting them, which is the interesting part. No, but they hate people like me. Um, white crack dealer? Yeah. I mean, I thought they'd be happy. Well, look, white guys can do it too. You know, you're, <laughs> ma you're, you're making it equal. You're making the crack trade. Uh, you're kind of a pioneer in the crack game. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting too, because you have the right to take the government to trial yet they punish you. That's a constitutional right. Yet when you exercise that right and you are found guilty, they punish you for exercising that right and well, they punish call, you harshly. They harshly. call it the trial penalty. I mean, that's the word. Mm -hmm. Lawyers use it all the time. John Gleason, who ends up becoming my lawyer eventually, he was the dude that prosecuted John Gotti, was a federal judge for 23 years. And he uses that in a bunch of his cases when he was a judge, calling it the trial penalty. That's what they do. How dare you take us to trial? Now we're going to you know, end your life. What's up, you guys? Let's take a minute to thank our longtime sponsor of the show, Mood. You guys, this is the number one CBD and Delta 8, Delta 9 products company in the country, completely legal and delivered discreetly to your doorstep. You guys, go over to hellomood.co to get a wide variety of everything from gummies, edibles, pre-rolls, flour. You guys, I use CBD every day. It helps with my joint pain, it helps me sleep, it helps with anxiety, as well as the Delta 8 and Delta 9 products. Hello Mood is the last company you will need to use when it comes to these products, you guys. They are offering an amazing discount right now. You know what to do. Go over to hellomood.co and use that promo code CONNECT20 to get 20% off anything on their website. And that is a whole lot to choose from. And of course, they're offering an amazing giveaway. If you guys use the promo code CONNECTFREE, you're going to get a five-count pack of gummies delivered completely free. And all you do is pay for shipping. You guys, go to hellomood.co right now and support them because they support our great show. Thank you so much. Let's get back into the episode. Now, do you think that eventually, now that the crack laws have thawed, um, uh, the public, the pendulum is swinging, uh, you know, in favor of rehabilitation of less harsh sentencing, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that, um, that will be a case to get people out on appeal uh, saying you, this is, you gave them, what do you call it? The Stacking. trial penalty. Yeah. You think uh, like this man deserves to be get out because he was given the trial penalty. It, will that be a way to get, will that be uh Yeah. Uh, a way to appeal people's cases that are sitting in prison, you know, doing too much time. Well, let me tell you what happened recently, right? Um, Trump passes the first step act mm -hmm. and it gives judges the authority to reduce a sentence. If they find that there's extraordinary and compelling reasons to do so. Mm -hmm. um, if you're in New York and you had charges like me, then it would apply to you. But if you were in Florida and you had charges like me, those judges said, well, that isn't what Trump said. That isn't what he meant. That's not what the first step act means. So we can't do it. Right. So a guy, and, and we'll just call it what it is. A white dude in New York can get out mm -hmm. like me, but a guy in Florida can't get out because, because the judge says that's not what the law says. 
So the sentencing commission just came back and they says, look, if a guy's got 10 years in, if the judge feels he's rehabilitated, he can consider all of that stuff. And you know, the changes in law that we just did with the first step back. So now in November, November 1st, it's supposed to go into effect, but they say there's going to, you know, they're going to be some put some pushback. Mm -hmm. They believe that. Right. So will it pass? I think it will, but I think it's going to be slimmer than people think. And now, you know, judges will have the authority to let you out. But there's some real bad judges out there, man. Of course. Dudes that are never, ever going to get out. I got a guy that I just did a case for. Gregory Miles. Been in since he was 26. He's been in like 40 years. And the judge reduces the sentence, and you would think it's a win because he reduces it by 33 years. But he gives him five years for all those guns, for all the robberies, right? Five, 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 five. So he reduces his sentence by 30 years, but he's still got 12 years to do, and he's been in, he's 64. Yeah. And he's got 40 years in. So, uh, I mean, how much help? 40 I mean, years? 40, he's, he's 40 years in right now. Yeah, he's got 40 years oh in Oh, my right God. Now. Wow. I so, posted it on my community page for anyone that might want to check it out on my YouTube channel. So, um, how long does your trial last? My trial was about three weeks long. Yeah, that's a long trial. Yeah. And did you have any, did you have any action at all? Or were they just hammering you with evidence? I thought that I was going to win on the guns. I believe that because I wasn't caught with the guns. The guns were found in these houses and, and what, you didn't have your prints on them or anything that couldn't no, trace it. None of that. Oh, wow. But what they do in the feds is they call it constructive possession. So let's say me and Johnny are in a conspiracy, right? I'd never been in this house, but you got a gun in there and you're working for me. Well, that's constructive possession. You got the gun in there to protect the drugs. Even though I never even see, I could never even see the gun. And they can convict you on constructive possession. God, that's fucked um, up, huh? Even yeah, and even the marshals told me they thought they're like, "You're going to win on the guns. You're going to get convicted on the drugs." And they came back in a couple hours, dude, guilty on everything. And this was a jury trial. Yeah, man. So you heard forty years, and did you expect to do forty, or do you did you think, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to get out on something, or or did you go in with the mindset like my life is pretty much over? What well, were you my, thinking? Well, my PSR comes back life plus thirty. My lawyer tells me, I think the judge is going to give you 60. And then the judge instead gives me the mandatory minimum of 40. So when you're walking in, I go to one of the most dangerous prisons in the country. I'm going to Big Sandy, mm -hmm. very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So I'm heading to Big Sandy and my mindset is, you know, I'm hearing about people getting killed in this spot. And my mindset, I'm a pretty big kid, young. My mindset was, I'm just got to live my life here, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to just let anybody kill me. Don't think that there weren't, you know, times after I get sentenced where I'm devastated. I was devastated the day I got sentenced. There were times where I thought, man, I hope someone does kill me because I ain't got the balls to do it myself. I don't want to live this life. And then once you get to prison and you got that kind of time and you're around other dudes like that, you're just, you know, you're hoping that something changes. You're, you know, you're up there watching, you know, the debates when Obama was debating who McCain back then, but Obama's going to change it and let us all out. Um, and that didn't happen. You know, he wins, but he doesn't let people, all yeah. kinds of people out like people thought he would. Um, so yeah, you're, you go back and forth, man. When did you start studying the law? What year into your, into your stretch? I was in Coleman, USP Coleman. And this kid was like, Hey man, I know you're always in the law library. We're locked down. I need your help. I want you to write this reply for me. His jailhouse lawyer ends up in the hole and he's lives in, lived in a different unit, then goes to the hole, I think. And I'm like, dude, I don't really, you know, trust myself to do people's cases. He's like, please, man, if not, I'm not going to have anything in. And he's like, I'll pay you. I think he gives me $30 in commissary. I do his stuff. How did you went. know? How did, hang on. But how did. You, you were selling crack at 13. I mean, where does your education come from? Are you self-educated? Do you read a lot? You're very articulate. Like, how did you develop this uh, kind of affluent uh, education? Well, I mean, I was Street always- Street education. I'll I say. was always an intelligent dude as a kid, right? Um, I could say that I thought our school districts were pretty good. Hmm. Um, 
I was an athlete in school, never used drugs. I never even smoked weed before, bro. People would be like, what? Never. I never got into drugs. Um, did acid one time when I think I was 16. Mm. But I was always an athlete, wrestling team. I boxed. I was 121 and 12 as an amateur fighter. Mm. Um, so I always was into the into the sport thing and into being intelligent. I did my homework, never failed. Did you graduate high school? No, I went to jail. I went to prison. So I ended okay. up getting a GED. Right. And immediately, though. I got it immediately since yeah. I went to prison. Um, I got a GED, and then, yeah, dude, I read like you wouldn't believe. And mm -hmm. I got into the law, believe it or not. I read this book, The Chamber, by John Grisham. Uh, yeah. And the law fascinated. That was when I was 16. I was always interested in the law. Bought a jailhouse lawyer's manual from Columbia. I read it from back to front. And then when I ended up in a position where I, now I got a 40-year sentence, I started ordering books. The dude that became my lawyer, John Gleason, he wrote a book, the Second Circuit Handbook. And I bought that. And I read every, and it was like a $600 book, bro. And I read every page in that book, dude. Wow. Um, and Busted by the Feds book. That was a phenomenal book. A buddy that I was in prison with, Larry Fassler, he wrote that book when he got out. Well, he wrote it in prison. And then when he got out, it was published. So, I mean, I just learned the law. I had to learn it. Did no one you, was gonna did you find me. any, what was the first loophole that you saw in, in the course of these readings that you, you said, oh, okay, this could be something right here, like in an appeal? Well, I ended up meeting this kid that was from my city and he had the same judge as me. And he had a similar issue where his lawyer told him, hey, if you go to trial, you know, you can only get five years for the gun. So they misinformed this cat. Oh. They didn't tell him you could get, he ended up with 57 years. They didn't tell him you can get, you know, five, 25, 25. Right. Um, and, I, and he was kind of bugged out, right? And he had got shot by these dudes from my city that killed a bunch of people. They blew his leg off. He said, you see what the game did for me, man? They blew my leg off, bro. The game took my leg. And I was like, he was like screaming in this cell. <laughs> Black dude talking to me, this kid named Terry. Terry White. Anyone wants to look it up, U.S. versus Terry White. And he's like, man, this lawyer wrote this motion for me, charged me this amount of money, and I'm reading the motion. I'm like, dude, this is shit's exactly like me. And I, I told the lawyer to take it. Even if you can't get the two points off for the gun, I will take the offer. Right. And, the and lawyer, that's all documented. You have it that? It was all documented. Wow. So the lawyer didn't do that. He didn't tell the government. He kept telling me, don't worry, you know, I'm going to see what I can do. And then they superseded me. And then I started making these arguments, and I had them in court one day. And while we're in court, I'm getting rid of this lawyer, right? That I paid all this money to. Yeah. I get nothing for my money. So it's be one of the best where I'm from. And I start screaming at him in the courtroom. And I tell the judge, I said, I'm trying to put this on the record that I told this dude to take the plea offer. Yeah. And the judge says, I told you to be quiet. I said, well, I'm not going to be quiet. I said, am I lying, Mr. Thompson? And he says, he's telling the truth to the best of my recollection. So I locked him in when I was making that argument. But that was because I read Terry White's case. So I had to lock. I knew I had to lock this dude in somehow on the record. And the judge was not letting me. But I just started screaming about it. And but it's still on the record, though, because the stenographers, so you get in, all that paperwork, Yeah, right? but, the, but the judge actually told me to shut up on the record. Wow. So when the judge... But, but so, so when you're... Now you're down in the feds, when you read that kid's case, similar to yours, that were you like... Like, I'm getting chills right now. Were you like, okay, this is action. That's, yeah. and, and how did you take it from there? How did you proceed? I eventually end up filing a 2255, a post-conviction motion. I make all them arguments. Um... And my judge said pretty much doesn't entertain the plea offer for the 11 to 14. He kind of ignores it. Right. And then there was also a plea for 20 years. And he says, even if he offered him a plea to 20 years, which I'm not sure if he did or not, Mr. Marks would have never taken it. And I'm the determiner of credibility. He would have been, he wrote this in his decision. He would have been better off taking, offering him a one-way ticket to the moon. Those were the words that the judge used. Jesus. Condescending, pretty nasty, right? Yeah. And I think years later, the judge always knew that what happened to me was wrong. And eventually, when the compassionate release rolls around, he that same judge releases me, and I think really? that had, yeah, I think that had some play in it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So 
um, before we get to the compassionate release, tell us about becoming the jailhouse lawyer. Okay, you had, so you, the first kid came to you and you. I win his case. Now there's this Cuban dude that's. Now, when you say win his case, what does that mean? Well, I send him back and he gets resentenced. I do his reply and he wins and he goes home. Wow. That's winning the case. Now I get this other cat that comes to me. He's like, hey, bro, could you do a 2255 for me? Um, he's a Colombian, uh, Cuban dude. They're doing all these reverse sting robberies or robbing people in broad daylight in Miami. Um, reverse sting robberies. What is that? Okay, so the cops send an informant to you. Right. And they say, hey, bro, we got these Mexicans that got 10 bricks in the house. You don't know it's a cop. It's an informant <sighs> telling you this. So he's setting up these guys to go rob somebody that's a trap by the feds. Yeah. And then they Dirty. tell them, they say, Hey man, you, you probably should bring two or three guns, you know? Right. That way they can give you the five, the 25, the 25, right? So they're giving you what they're telling you what they want you criminals. to criminals. Well, I mean, the feds are criminals. Well, so there's been a lot of stuff about it going on in Chicago recently Wow. within the last couple of years where they're saying, Hey, this is government misconduct. Of course. You're creating a crime. Of course. And you know, the argument is you could tell a, a guy that's a millionaire, like, Hey man, you know, there's, $10 million in this house. And he might even contemplate, of course. It, right? They've but been doing that with terrorists for years. They so set you, this kid up. Did you read about this in Portland where I'm from? I think it was, I was in high school. It was like 2002, 2003. They groomed this young Arab kid, literally groomed him. Yeah. Don't know how they found him. Something, you know, who knows, right? Whatever the internet was back then, he was maybe posted some like anti-American shit. Yeah. They groomed him, set up a fake bomb to, to go off like, you know, in like a public square and he did hit the button, but it's like, dude, how about you? Like, don't let it come to that. <laughs> you know what I they're, mean? They're creating crime, creating crime. And they're banging these dudes, man. Yeah. They're about 40, 50 years. So tell, this is crazy. So tell me about so this, this guy's case. This so this is his cat, appeal. he's got a robbery down there and he's like, can you do my post-conviction motion? I'm like, man, dude, you know, I just, that was a crack motion. That wasn't really all that tough. So I ended up doing it and I win. I how win did you case. win? We ended up winning on some ineffective assistance of counsel stuff with his lawyer with a plea offer issue, um, some insufficient evidence issues, an illegal um, arrest. We, we won a bunch of stuff on that. Wow. So you're, you're just going through it. Now, does every win, like when you're reading through this like thick legal paperwork, right? And you're reading the law books, like, are you just getting like a dopamine hit when you, when you get a win like that? When you see a little, it's like seeing daylight where there is none. It's like seeing a door of a completely dark room cracked open just a little bit. And when you get that daylight, do you feel a rush for these guys? Or do you always assume you're going to lose? No, I get a rush and I like winning. And yeah. when they do dirty shit to people, it makes me happy. Yeah. I'll give you an example. When you talk about the rush, I do this case for this old man in Kentucky, old man, Bob, old farmer. He blew some people up back in the eighties and he beat it at a trial. So they hated this cat. He later gets in a beef with a guy. He was, he was a coal miner he, and owned a bunch of property and a farmer. He ends up getting in a beef with this dude and dude ends up getting blown up 25 years after the first one. Right. Um, and I end up doing his case because the judge gives him like a hundred years and he's just going to die in prison. Mm -hmm. So one day I'm in the law library and I'm trying to help him and I'm working on the case. I'm working on the case. And I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to check one more thing, man. I can't find, it's just not here. And I end up finding some. And as soon as I find it, I'm in the law library and I yell, yeah, I rub my hands together and dudes are like, yo, what's up? And I'm like, here it is. This is what I was looking for um, to prove that his conspiracy to commit murder wasn't a violent crime and that they couldn't tie whatever. I think it was a 924 J on or 924 C on there and some other stuff. And I end up winning the case and he goes back to get resentenced. Dude, he's like 80 something years old. He gets resentenced and the judge still gives him 22 more years. Right. Still going to die. Yeah, in it prison. was 49 years. I, I, I can look it up. I don't remember exactly what it was, but. 
it was probably five years ago I did it. And when I win, I'm like, yeah, I win. But guess what? Still going to die in there. Yeah, because the judge was just a piece of shit in yeah. Kentucky. Um, okay, so now you, you must get, the buzz must start, it must start popping in prison with the buzz about this cat Chad is uh, the real deal. He's getting people resentenced. So do you start to get busy? Well, if I get this kid, Adaris Mazio Black, um, he was out of Detroit, big, big, big time dope dealer. He ended up, he, it was a death penalty case. He's the dude that was in the as is and the feds magazines. He had the face transplant. Um, I don't know if you know who he no, is. I never heard of him. Phenomenal. I mean, like crazy, crazy case. Um, he comes to me, he's got a life sentence and you know, for, what? Got, for murder, drugs, um, Angie Martinez, I think was his girl. They found a bunch of stuff on her tour bus. Um, he comes to me. And me and him end up becoming friends and I do all his stuff. Um, and should, we should have won, but we didn't. And now recently I've been working on his stuff now and hopefully we get a win. But, um, he, he was, you know, he, he bugged out. If he thought you seen his face, you died. Wow. Um, he had some cartel dudes selling dope in Detroit and he told me, Hey, they're our competition. Don't sell them nothing. We're your only guys. And they were like, okay, cool. We won't. And they did. And he killed the connect allegedly and the connects friend. So. Do you feel some kind of way about guys who actually deserve to to be in there f for a long time? Do you feel any kind of, I don't know, uh, moral ambiguity when you're helping them with their cases? Um, I'll give you an example. The dude in Ohio that just killed his three sons. Mm -hmm. No, I wouldn't. I don't think that dude should. I think he should be buried under the jail. Mm -hmm. He'd give me a million dollars right now. I wouldn't help him. So you you have to believe in the case. You have to believe in the righteousness of the cause or else you won't take the case. Yeah. I mean, I would do that in prison with dudes. If you didn't know your case number, I'm not helping you. You got to know your case number. And I had dudes where I'm like, dude, you know, you want to get out, you know, you got to get my GD. I taught GD in prison. You got to get my GD class. You got to sign up for my AVP alternative violence project seminar classes. You got to show me you really want to get out because. So you taught all that. Yeah. I did all that shit wow. in jail. Okay. I don't. And I meant it. I mean, that's what I did. I got a guy right now, Lonnie Lee Nichols. I, I'm interviewed him on my channel. Um, I got him out of jail, had life. He was begging me to get him out of jail. I get out. He, I charged him $750, bro. I do his case. I get him out of jail. On Re what? On um, resentencing? On, on compassionate release in okay. Florida. Gotcha. Where it's almost impossible to win in Florida. Right. I get Is him that just because it's such redneck, conservative, Republican, yeah, tough horrible. on crime? They're horrible. Yeah. And right now they say they don't have the authority. Even with mm. this stuff changing the sentencing commission on November 1st, mm -hmm. if you file in Florida right now or in Illinois, either one of them places, they're coming back and they're saying, that's not the law yet. Yeah, but you know it's going to be the law. Right. So you can just do it. Yeah. You, know, you can just do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I get Lonnie Lee Nichols out of jail. Where do you think he's at right now? This is a brand new meth case and he's got a five-year violation oh, too no. that he's serving. Jesus. Who knows what's going to happen with the other case. Yeah. But you don't want to help dudes get out of prison. They're going to go back. Right. Because I got boys in there. I just did a case for Laval Farmer. Um, life, life in prison at the age of 21. He did a state bid, was getting released. They show up and say, hey, we got this conspiracy. You were a blood gang member and um, you killed some people. So we're, you know, we're taking over the federal bill and they gave him life. This dude deserves to get out of prison more than me. Mm -hmm. Is it wrong that someone died? Yeah, that sucks. You mm -hmm. know, and there has to be a penalty. But this kid's got 20 something years in. And he has turned his life around. And I don't think he's a threat to public safety anymore. So before so. the compassionate release comes in in 2018, which our friend unique, we've talked about that. Many people like him, uh, the sing Donald Trump's praise because he was the one that basically allowed that to happen. Right. But before then they sing, they sing Donald Trump, the praise, but in all reality, and they can Google this, 
I'm the dude that wrote the first one in the country to ever win. Oh my I God. Wrote, I wrote the Conrado Cantu case out of the Northern district of Texas. Um, was it Northern or Southern? He was a former mayor, former chief of police, had like 20 something years. And he came to me and said, Hey bro, I need some help. And I said, look, I think I'm right. After the first step back passed, I said, I think that I'm right. If you want to try it, we're going to try it. I did it. And he won. And since then, numerous thousands and thousands of people have gotten out of jail, but I wrote it. Wow. Not only did I write that, but I also wrote the first article released to the public. It was in the criminal legal news and the prisoners legal news about compassionate release, telling all federal prisoners how they could get out of jail. Wow. Um, so it's me, you know, and not that I'm not being arrogant or bragging, but sometimes I do get pissed off. Um, when, you know, I think people should give me a little, not no money, just give me a little credit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like that dude did that. Like right, I did that. Right. The lawyers have made it better. Of course they were out here. I was sitting in a jail cell writing this shit with a pen and paper. Right. So, I mean, the lawyers made it better. And once I got out, I, I'm able to do it too. And I've well, gotten, we, I've gotten a hundred dudes out of jail, men and women, bro. Since the, with yeah, the compassionate release, compassionate release, 2255s, nunk pro tunk. Right 2255 the, is a resentencing, right? It's a post-conviction motion. Gotcha. And that's, and you're generally just trying to get people less time. You're trying to get them resentenced essentially. Well, that's not a compassionate release. On a 2255, if you have a constitutional issue, let's say we talked about the plea agreement issue. Yeah. Let's say your lawyer didn't inform you about your plea offer and you end up going to trial and you get 50 years. Well, we go back under Laffler versus Cooper, Missouri versus Fry, Strickland versus Washington. And we argue, hey, this lawyer had a duty to give me professional legal advice, and he never told me about the plea offer. So it's ineffective counsel. Yes, and that's how you get back. You have to have a constitutional issue. Most 2255s are ineffective assistance of counsel. Wow, arguments. interesting. And and uh, just dump trucks? Are these federal, uh, what do you call it, uh, appointed attorneys? Or are they are they paid attorneys? I guess it can be anybody. It could be a dump truck, right? Dude, I mean, you got paid attorneys that are dump trucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the reality. Mm -hmm. um, not all lawyers are bad. I mean, I work with... Lawyers all over the country. Jillian Harrington out of New Jersey, phenomenal attorney. Um, federal defender, Deidre Von Dornham out of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's we're phenomenal. I did a case for a guy when Johnson came down, Asian guy. I wrote it. She, I wrote it. They appointed her. So when they appoint her, she's like, hey, who wrote this? And we talk on the phone. Go down there and we win. Kid gets, you know, he, he gets deported back to China, but we win. Mm -hmm. He gets out. So recently I'm doing a case for this kid, Akeem Moskadov. I do Akeem's case for $200. He's my buddy. We were in prison. He, he sends me his cash app, two, 300 bucks. What's he in there for? Um, and how much time? He, some vicious, vicious robberies. He was buying costumes from here, from Hollywood, dressing up like white de ball head detectives with these Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood costumes nice. and robbing everybody. Uh, they were getting away. I think um, he got, someone got cut. One of his co-defendants, mm, some blood was found Yeah, and they, they tie it back to him. So I do his stuff, compassionate release. When I do his stuff, the judge appoints a lawyer. They appoint Deidre Von Dornham. She's a chick. Yeah. She calls me immediately and we talk. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe they appointed you. She has enough respect for me that she puts my name on the reply brief that it was done by me. Like the first person to acknowledge, I get lawyers all the time. Thank you for what you did, but they never acknowledge me. Right. So she actually put me on the court filings as oh, her wow. paralegal. And we went in there and won that, man. So, so when you're writing a, a compassionate release, compassionate releases changed the game. Yeah, because now even if you can't get somebody out on a constitutional issue, uh, you can you can uh, appeal to their their good behavior, right? The way they've changed uh, in prison, their yeah. mitigating circumstance. You told me about uh, a guy doing life. I think he's from New York City. Uh, his mother uh, used to beat him or sexually abuse him or, this, or lock him out butt naked. T tell yeah. us about that story. So there's two cases like that. One was Chazzy Glenn, um, one of the major dudes from the G Shine Bloods. I think it was. He was in a similar situation. He had life. I did his stuff. They reduced it to 30 years. But the kid that you're talking about is the kid I just talked about, Laval Farmer. 
Um, his mother was a drug addict, his, you know, stepfather in the house, beating on the kids. She would make them stand out on the fireplace in New York City in the middle of November. In a the summer. fire escape. Fire escape, bro. Um, this is one of the cases that I did where, honestly, dude, it emotionally made me feel like I don't want to do this shit no more sometimes. Wow. Um, and eventually, when he's five years old, his mother, take, they were feeding him rice with ketchup on it. That's what they used to eat for dinner every night because they were selling the food stamps and stuff like that. And when they put him... I, it bothers me a little bit, you know? So his mom at five years old and we're buddies. He's one of the only people I ever wrote a support letter for that. I did a case for to the judge. So at five years old, his mom takes him to the courthouse and says me and you and your sisters are going to the courthouse and they go into the courthouse and they take him in another room with his sisters and his mother leaves and he never sees his mother again, bro. His mother finally got to the point where, and I talked to him about this and he said, sad man, to be honest with you, she loved us enough that she knew she couldn't take care of us, bro, that it was so bad that she left us there and you would think that I would hate her, but I love her, man. She was my mother and I love her because she left us there and we could go somewhere else where we were treated a little bit better. Although I ended up in prison mm. and I ended up as a gang member. He said, but you know what? I wasn't eating rice and ketchup for dinner every night anymore. I wasn't, you know, not being able to take a bath. My sister wasn't out on the, you know, the fire escape in 20 degree weather and with, with snow and being left out there in just her underwear. And do you include that? In the, the release, in the motion? 100%. And did he have a good uh, prison record? Phenomenal. The best prison record I've ever seen. One of the smartest dudes I've ever met in my life. Wow. If he gets released, I there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to do a lot of great things in his life, you know? So that's currently, he's still inside right now. That motion's pending right now. Wow. Yeah. And how long does a motion take, on average, to go through? It depends. Like, you know, me, I'll write it within a motion like that. It took me... Every day work, probably, I probably work for, you know, 30, 30 days working on that motion. But, but I mean, what, once it's filed, how, what's um, the turnaround time to get an answer usually from the judge? Usually, once you file it, the judge will issue a scheduling order, give the government 45 days to respond, give you 21 days. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's up to the judge. Sometimes 90 days down the road, you get a decision. Six months is kind of long, but mm -hmm. sometimes a year. Me, it took 14 months from the time I filed, but, it, but I had two hearings. And I would say anywhere between three to six months, you're going to get an answer usually on a compassionate release motion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go back to now you're becoming this budding jailhouse lawyer. You know, you got into a lot of shit when you were in prison. And we're going to talk about that on the Patreon after this, patreon.com slash the connect show. You know, there was some, there was some knife work and there was some gang banging and there was some, you know, some dope dealing and, you know, you were doing what you had to do to survive. Once you, you saw that this was like something, a way out, you know, this, you have this pretty brilliant legal mind. Did that, did you leave all that foolishness behind you? And did you kind of, did you, did you step back from the problems a little bit? You know, when you're in an environment like big Sandy, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you got to carry a knife. You have to be ready to do whatever mm. it could be today. It could be tomorrow. You could be attacked and you have nothing to do with it. But they, would they attack a jailhouse lawyer though? Isn't that kind of like the, the, the chef, right? Like you don't touch him. Let me tell you something, man. In federal prison, they don't give a shit if you're the jailhouse lawyer or not. Do you have dudes around you that will protect you if you're doing their case? I guess you do, but I'm not the type of dude that needed protection. Mm. I don't know tough guy shit. I'm, I, there's almost every jailhouse lawyer that I've ever met in prison that was a white jailhouse lawyer, even some black ones. I've seen them slapped. I've seen them kicked. I've seen people spit on them. Um, and I would tell dudes, you ever kick me or spit on me, I might be the last moment. You spit on not that yeah. I'm the toughest dude on the, mm -hmm. the planet because I get my ass whooped too. Mm -hmm. But um, they, it's just a respect thing, bro. They know who they can disrespect. Do they protect them dudes sometimes? Yeah, I've seen dudes protect dudes. 
because, yo, bro, he's doing my case right now. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of them dudes that are jailhouse lawyers, believe it or not, are junkies or they're cigarette junkies. Cigarettes cause more than heroin in prison. You know, that habit destroys people. But in federal prison, everything's racially segregated. If something mm-hmm. happened, they don't care if I'm the jailhouse lawyer. Race mm-hmm. comes first. Yeah. Um. So. But were you expected to go out and and bang still? Uh, now that you were, so much time was taken trying to 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 do people's cases. One hundred percent. Wow. If something happens, and you know you're gonna do what you got to do. Do I go on dummy missions? No, I never went on dummy missions. Mm-hmm. Did I go on? A, I went on one mission that I really didn't want to go on. Um. And I did it. And later on, I. I don't know. I felt bad about it mm-hmm. a little bit where dude was using the N word. And in the moment I enjoyed it. And then later on, I was like, damn, bro, I felt bad that we did what we did. to this." So you had to touch a guy that was using the N word. Yeah. He was drunk, started using the N word and a white guy, white dude. Oh, so it was disciplining somebody within the, the whites that you were running with. Yeah. The and the federal car. prison system, the, the administration from the warden on down, they wanted you to discipline your own back then. They didn't want to deal with it. Right. Your guy steals something, you punch his head off and get him out of here. Mm-hmm. Your guy is going to create a race riot, right. get him out of here immediately. And, and, and a guy getting drunk using the N-word could cause a race riot. So 100%. therefore, it's expected that you guys need to go punish him, probably put, you know, stick something in him uh, to to handle that and get, well, him, they off, wanted me get to, him off the yard. They, that was the thing. They wanted us to stab him. I said, I'm not going to stab him. We'll just go in here and just pound him out, but I'm not stabbing this dude. Yeah. And my celly was Adam Oliveri and Stevie Burke, um, one of the dudes from that movie, The Town. And Adam was a very dangerous dude, probably the toughest white dude I ever met in federal prison. People respected him, and Adam was my celly. So to a certain extent, I had a little bit of a pass, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Adam, I don't want to stab the dude. And he's like, what do you mean? What do you, you ain't got no balls, kid? Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, I don't want to do it. And uh, I don't want to stab him, but I'll, I'll him up mm-hmm. and adam's like all right man just smash him but he's got to be smashed good yeah and we did man he we smashed him good yeah we beat him up bad. did you go to the hole um i didn't but two of my other partners ended up going to the hole they came by did body checks i thought i was going mm. and i passed the body check mm-hmm. so i made it out did uh but you now you got something to live for because yeah. you're working on your own case and you're you probably come you probably become pretty popular if you're getting people's giving people time cuts getting people released um, that came later in the bit after I left Big Sandy. Okay, got it. So, so where were you? What prison were you at when you really started to become the? I was in jailhouse? Coleman. You were in Coleman. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, how how many cases did you have at a time in there? Sometimes, man, four or five cases at a time. So, so can you file an appeal yourself, or did you actually have to send it to a lawyer on the outside and have them do the actual filing? File it pro se. You put your name on it. Wow. You send it. Wow. And you so know, I could, I could, in theory. I don't even need a lawyer. Yeah. I just need a paralegal. I mean, I, you could do it yourself or you could just give it to a guy like you for a 10th of the price of a lawyer. 500 bucks. I get you out of prison for 500 bucks. Back <laughs> 250. I would help you if you were poor, if you didn't have anything, I help people now for free. Wow. Um, you know, if you don't have it and I know that, but I'm not helping you if you know, you're shooting dope or you're on mm-hmm. the poker table talking mm-hmm. like you can't pay me, but you're on the poker table every day. How, what, what would you charge a guy if you knew he had money? I mean, it's not, my price was usually three fifty. Whatever you could spend a commissary a month, I think it was like three thirty that month. I'd tell you three fifty, two hundred now, one hundred fifty when right. I'm done. So like a month, month worth, months worth it's of a commissary. commissary. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Much, yeah. Gotcha. And did you take uh, cash? Like, did you say deposit it in my account, or did they pay you and do you take stamps? Like- well, you could, you could do. I mean, I've done it all different ways. I would take stamps. I would have people send. You know, have your mom Western Union, my mom. Yeah. Um, I looked out for my mom in prison too. You know, wow. there were cases where I would charge people, you know, five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks. And usually if I charge a thousand, I give my mom 500, I'd keep 500. Wow. So you're working on, you're doing okay. You're, you're surviving in there yeah. off of this legal business. Came home with eight grand from doing legal work. Wow. Okay, cool. So 
How long did you do this? How many years were you working on legal stuff before 2018, before the compassionate release uh, came down? I would say I probably started really doing legal work in 2010, 2011. Okay, so a long time. time. You were working on it for years. years. How many cases did you win or successfully get time cuts on before the compassionate release? More than I could count, bro. Wow. And, you know, I don't really chalk them up on my resume. I mean, there's a lady from can do clemency organization. She wrote a letter to my judge and put all the stuff that I had won, like got three years off of this guy's sentence, won this direct appeal for Jason Belcher, um, nunk pro tunk stuff, 2255s. They, they knew that I knew the law because I was writing all my right, own shit. They're like, right. they know, they know I know what I'm doing. Did, did you tell us about like the wildest case, the case you really thought, okay, we got no shot on this that you ended up winning. That was the kid, Chazzy Glenn, G shine blood. One of the people that started the G shine bloods in New York city. Um, I don't think he was the top, top dog, but one of the originators. Um, I told him, look, dude, you want me to do this case? I'm going to charge you $2,500, but you're not going to win. So if I were you, I'd save my money and buy potato chips and and, and, and sodas, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just keeping yeah. it real with you. He's like, man, look, I'd rather do it and know than not do it and right. always wonder. He said, I got to do it, bro, and I need you to do it. You're, you're, you're a proven winner. And he was doing life, I assume. He's doing life. Yeah. Yep. He was in New York State prison for, I think, a gun and a robbery was supposed to get out. The day he's supposed to get out, the marshals are there to pick him up and they take him over to the federal building and they take him over to federal court and they charge him and he ends up with a life sentence. Oh my, for being, what? what's the sentence? Um, It was life. He gets no, no, life. no, but I mean, what was the charge that put um, him away for life? There was a RICO act, conspiracy, yeah. bloods, blood gang member, murder. Um, There was all kinds of so shit. So they got him with a kingpin it. A kingpin charge for being a uh, the leader of a, a RICO case, a RICO so, case, right? You know, pretty much organized crime, and right. that's what they're doing to a lot of them young kids in New York City, right? Um, so I end up doing his case. We got his life sentence reduced to thirty years. Wow! So, so is he out now? No, but he'll be out, and I think I think he's got four more years. That's unreal. So he'll do. So he'll have been in there for a total of thirty. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, I mean a little less because of the good time. Yeah. Tommy Reynolds, another mob guy. Um, how, now, hold on. How did you get? So tell us about the G shine. What did you get him? how did you get that sentence reduced? That was on a compassionate release. Oh, that was on a compassionate. Yes. Okay. But I made an argument that he was only 18 at the time, 17 right. horrible upbringing. I put all his school records in yeah. there. Um, I put a bunch of stuff in there from the Supreme court, from the Graham case where his mind wasn't fully developed. The first step back talked about, you know, up to the age of 24, your brain's not fully mm-hmm. developed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, I put in, I, mean, I think it was a 40 or 50 page motion. Wow. And we put in some work. Wow. And now and tell won. us about the, the mob case. Okay. So Tommy Reynolds, I don't know if you know who Jimmy Calandra is. He's got a YouTube mob channel or whatever. Okay. He was one of the co-defendants. Um, Tommy Reynolds is a guy that killed this lady. He accidentally killed the wrong lady. They knocked on the door. She answered and he killed her. Um, and it wasn't anyone that was involved in crime. I ended up helping Tommy Reynolds out and we ended up getting his sentence reduced. So, you know, he's, there was times when he was never going to get out. Me and him were like this in prison. Wow. I walked the yard with him every day and wow. I did all his stuff. And then I did it when I got out of jail. I continued to work on it after I got out. Was that and, on a compassionate? No, that was more, it was, I believe it was a 2241 that we ended up filing over there and a 2255 to get some time back for, they didn't count some time and stuff okay. like that. Wow. And we got that time back. So, so, now he's so, so the technicalities are the keys, the key in getting these guys off, right? It's because you're never going to find... I assume you don't find many guys uh, who are completely innocent, like in there for guilty charges, and then you get their cases totally tossed, right? Did that ever happen? No, not no. for me. Very seldom. Very seldom. They right? got you. They got you. You got to find yeah. a technicality. I'm yeah. good at that, man. Yeah. I can read a transcript and read something on page 101, and I'm on page 900, and you said something different. And I know that where you said it is, 
is usually around 100, 101, 102. Yeah. I know where I'm going yeah. with the page. I can actually go back to the pages. Usually, I'm usually right in there. I think it's a gift from God, bro. God gave me a gift to help other people, bro. Oh, this is brilliant. I love, and that's why the American system for how up it is, it's also awesome because it's like, hey, this guy could clearly be guilty. Yeah. Right. But you up, you didn't follow the procedure. It's what makes America different. It's what makes it's, it's Judeo Christian law. It's what makes it superior. It's like everybody has to follow the rules, you know, 100%. Let me give you, let me give you an example. I'm doing a case for this guy, Larry Padgett, right? Some people might be watching your podcast. Crip started his own set in New York city. They're beefing with the folk nation. One of their dudes gets killed in Bermuda or some somewhere, Virgin islands or something. He's in a club. They call. And they're like, the Folk Nation guy walks in, the most dude, he sent a text, yo, big homies here in blue, right? Puts us on a text. Mm -hmm. And now Larry's like, there's only one way out. So there's video footage of it. Larry ends up shooting this kid in the back of the head and shoots him in the back five times. Defense attorney makes an argument and says, you know, this, was, this is our defense. How do you put up a self-defense argument when the dude shot five times in the back and shot in the head? Almost impossible. But what she didn't realize is, is that in order to be convicted of that RICO, that murder has to be in furtherance of you either trying to get in a gang or to get a higher, you know, a higher position. Right. She never makes that argument. That was his argument. He can't get a higher position. He started the crib set right. that he's in. He started it. He's already in the gang. So you can't tie the murder to the Rico without tying the murder to the Rico. Guess what? Now you don't just, have a Rico. Case. Now it's just a murder. Now it's just a murder that should have been prosecuted in New York in, state. In the state. Right. Okay. Not, so that's how the feds got jurisdiction because they make it a Rico case, <sighs> but you can't tie the murder because he's not trying to elevate his position in the gang. He's already the boss. Holy shit. So, okay, so what happens? So I call the lawyer, and I talk to her, and I said, look, this is the deal, and I need an affidavit from you. Well, since while I, while I was on the plane, she wrote me an affidavit and admitted that she messed up. So I think we're going to win. Oh, so so how is that going to look, though? Are they going to retry him in state prison? Like, how how would, because it's supposed to be a state I think that crime. they might, well, you know, it happened so long ago, right? He's got, a, not so long ago, eight years ago, eight, nine years ago. Um, I think maybe they would maybe try to take him back to the state and who knows, maybe give him a cop out for manslaughter. You get a cop out for manslaughter. You get 15 years. You got, and he's already at eight in 10. I think, in. A, I think it was 2013. So he's, he's got 10 in. I think I remember reading about this. It was in a club it was right? in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. It's in, it was in the New York post. I the, think they got it on camera. The videos online. Oof, That was brutal. Yeah. But, but that's still, the case I'm working on right now. Oh, that's makes my nipples hard. Dude. I had to tell him today that I was in LA. Cause he's like, Hey man, you almost done. I'm like, I'll be done Monday. Are your nipples hard? Um, well, I don't have a, no, I'm, just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. We can bro. see it with that shirt, dude. Uh, <laughs> no, I was talking about below. Don't look. We're in LA we like going pewing. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all fair out here on the West. Um, wow. This is incredible. So, and I imagine when, do you remember the day that, uh, compassionate release came down? Do you remember where? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Do you, do you remember the day that it became a thing when you were still in prison in 2018? Yes. Where were you? You were at I, Coleman? I was at Lexington. I was at a medical center. Well, what was happening? Well, they told me that I had liver cancer and I was going to die when I was at an FCI. Right. And I'm thinking, damn, man, I, you know, I've been through all this and now my story's going to end like this. Yeah. I had to go over there and get some tests done and I get there and they misdiagnosed me at the FCI and I just had, um, liver I got some kind of liver stuff, but it ain't, I'm not dying. Right. Um, fatty liver disease. So they just um, put you on medication. Or yeah. Something? They put me on some medication, told me to eat right, which uh, I haven't been doing the best <laughs> at, but I mean, I'm from, I went from 250 to like 235 right now. So I'm doing a little better. So when that happened, did your caseload, did your workload just go like triple? 
Cause I imagine everybody's like, everybody's like, damn, I, I can get out. Like well, I got a chance. When I won the Conrado can two case, I had people coming to me. Um, I had one of them. What the hell was his name, man? Cartel dude. Arma, Ar- Armando Valencia. Uh-huh. He had cancer. Armando had like, this case had like 3000 kilos in it. Yeah. He was the first dude that I did. And honestly, remember I told you he came home with eight grand. I think he paid me five grand without a problem. I did his stuff. He had cancer. He was dying. I didn't get him out. I'm not going to take credit, but he's out now. He did get out. And, okay. and as far as I know, he's not dead. Right. Um, but he was up there in that, on that wing. So how many, uh, how many compassionate releases did you file yours, your own right away? Of course. And you know, by now this is 2018, you've been down 15, um, since 2003. Okay. Yeah. So about 15 years, About 15, how many prisons had you been at mm, four or five? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had, what was, what were the strikes on your record? You mean priors? Yeah, no, no, no. Your, your prison. What were the negatives in your prison record? Like, what had you been caught for at the time? Okay. Like, what were you worried that you could get your compassionate release rejected for? So this is the crazy part, right? My case was personal. My prosecutor hated me. He was a Hispanic. He was a Cuban dude. Um, honestly, bro, I felt like he hated white dudes. Just keeping it real. Yeah. I mean, not on no racial shit, but that's what it is. Yeah. Um, he hated me. So what they do is they pull me down into the SIS, you know, after the motions filed, they pull me down there make me take all my clothes off. They stay, start taking pictures of me. Um, there's some allegations of some DWB stuff, dirty white boy gang. Hold on. After you filed your motion after for compassionate release, they found out and called you down to the SIS, which well, is my like, prosecutor called the, the prison oh, and asked them to go take pictures of me, investigate me, find out what's punk. going on with me. And this is all in the judge's decision. It's 40 pages, bro. Yeah. Um, where he says that the government manufactured evidence against me through the SIS. Wow. So they take me down there. They take pictures of all my tattoos. I'm black. My whole back's blasted out. Yeah. And then he starts asking me questions about, you know, gang affiliations and stuff like that. I don't answer him, bro. I'm like, ah, man. He's like, well, you know, you got a pretty bad prison record. And I said, well, you know, that was 10 years ago. You know, my life's changed. Mm-hmm. I don't say anything about no white gangs. Mm-hmm. He ends up, we have two hearings in my case. He ends up coming down and testifying that I told him that I was in the dirty white boy gang that are know, these SIS investigations, not on record. Like they, they, like they're, well, they're supposed to be right. They're oh, supposed to be. Wow. Um, so he, you know, he comes down, he testifies that I told him that I've beat up, you know, homosexuals in prison. I never fought a homosexual ever in my life. Mm. Um, you know, he just makes all these gang allegations, right? Mm-hmm. He also says that they went in my cell, they searched it. They found a um, cell phone chip inside of a buy bi- in my Bible in my locker. He writes all this stuff in, in his stuff. That's a lie. Yeah, it's a lie because what happens is they find a cell phone chip in my Sally's locker in his Bible. And honestly, my Sally was just a goofball from Dayton, Ohio that found up. We got 400 people in this unit, 350. And there's like these big piles of books. He picks up this Bible and that he didn't know he didn't even yeah. know the chip was in there, dude. Right. So they manufacture all this evidence trying to put it on me. And my, my judge says, you know, the thing that the government didn't do is tell the court that it was actually in his Selly's Bible. His Selly was wrote up for it. His Selly was found guilty of it. His Selly was in the hole for it. His Selly, you know, told them exactly how he ended up with this by getting the Bible, but you manufactured this. Then they made allegations that they heard I was selling Suboxone in prison. Absolutely untrue. Absolutely. I got a compassionate release motion now. I'd be the biggest idiot in the world to be in prison selling Suboxone yeah. when I'm doing cases and making, right. you know, $1,000 a week, yeah. uh, 5000 on the one case. Yeah. Um, cases that, you know, Russell Simmons, his son, you know, his adopted son, Jinx the Juvie, was in, um, he was on Run's house. Remember that back yeah. in the day? Well, I did Jinx the Juvie shit, and Russell Simmons paid me to do it. 
Well, while he, I was, he was in jail. He was like selling dope or something. Yeah, he got some... 25 years for a gun and drugs. Wow. He ended up getting his 25-year sentence reduced to 15. Wow. Um, on a compassionate release motion. But I won his 2255, won a hearing. He lost. Got a lawyer. But I got him back into court on his 2255. Mm. And then he ends up winning. So, you know, they just manufactured this shit. And the judge actually writes that, that the government has manufactured wow. evidence in this case through SIS to try to keep Chad So Marks the SIS in the prison probably helps your compassionate release. Well, just by proving, showing how blatantly dirty they were. Well, I ended up meeting with my judge after I got out about probably about what, about a year now. Um, my judge says, Hey, I want to see you. I want your wife and your, and I got two little twin boys with the girl that I was married to before prison. Wow. Got out. We reconnected. We got remarried and he calls me down there. He wants to meet my wife and my kids. Now, did you feel some kind of way? Cause this is the judge who hammered you. Yeah. Did um, you, did you know, had you, had you given up your, the bitterness that you naturally would feel towards him flushing your life down the toilet? Um, yeah, because he didn't really flush my life down the toilet. I did, right? I made the choice that sent me to prison at the mm. end of the day. Um, he's probably someone that I respect more than any other male figure ever in my life at Whoa. this point. But let me tell you why. I think he screwed me on my, tw on my 2255. I was supposed to win. There's no doubt. Um, but he's also the guy that believed in me and gave me a second chance when he didn't have to. Right. So he really believed when he kept you in there and rejected your 2255, he was like protecting the public. He probably really looked at you as a criminal and well, he was he like, I can't me, let this guy out on the street. Well, when he sentenced me, he told me that he said, you know, the, the violence and the chaos and this tells me that you were a street punk, but a dangerous street punk. He'd use them words. Um, and pretty much when I went back on compassionate release, he told me. They went hard on me, bro. Judge Gleason was my lawyer. He was mm -hmm. the judge. He was how, did you get, how, how did you get, he prosecuted John So Gotti. let me tell you what he says. Hold on. How did you get, okay. I just want to know how you hooked up with Gleason. Well, this is how, um, he, his very good friend, Harlan Protus wrote this motion called Holloway. It was United States versus Holloway. And Gleason was the judge. And Gleason talked about the 924C stacking in that case and ends up letting the dude out. He ends up letting him out and gets the prosecution to oh. agree who was Loretta Lynch, who later became Obama's attorney general. He tells them, look, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, I'm going to have to reconsider his post-conviction motion on a 60B. So I'm asking you to open this case and let me let this cat out. So he does. The process, Loretta Lynch does, and he lets the guy out. He's, mm -hmm. he's the judge. Steps down from the bench. I write Harlan Protus. and say, hey, bro, you were the lawyer on this case. I need help. He writes me back and says, let me talk to someone. Talks to Gleason. Me and Gleason talk. He says, look, Give me another year. Give me another year or two. Go get a college education. They got college in there now. Mm -hmm. I did what he said. I went and got that associate's degree. Mm -hmm. I, and, then, and honestly, when he told me that, I was like, man, F this guy. This dude ain't trying to help me, man. He's a piece of shit. That's yeah. what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. Like, he ain't going to help me, man. They're just trying to make me feel good for the moment. But I took his advice. and went and got an associate's degree. So now once I'm done with that, compassionate release kicks in, right? Right. I call Harlan Protus and said, hey, man, I got my own motion. I just filed. But you think you can holler at Gleason? He's like, let me call him. Call me back in an hour. I call him back in an hour. He says, would you mind if I got on the case too? Me, him, and Gleason? I'm, me and Gleason? I'm like, yeah, that would be great. And they read my pro se filings. They think that I'm going to be the first person to win compassionate release on a 924C stacking. So I, I don't know if Gleason was helping me necessarily because of me. Maybe out of ego. He wanted to be the first one. Not even ego. I think he actually cares about people. He wanted to win the first one mm -hmm. and help thousands of other people. Right. Well, while my shit's pending, someone else files this kid named Urkovich, and Urkovich wins before me. We're in court, and there's an argument, and the judge says, am I, you want me to be the first one to do this? And really, Gleason, these are top-notch lawyers, bro. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, you would be the first. And I stopped him and said, hold on, wait a second. And I told him, you're not the first one. 
It's going to be Urkovich. Urkovich already won. He won two days ago while I'm at this hearing. So they tell the judge that. So now it's a little easier for the judge to make the decision, right? He doesn't have to be the first guy that says, right. This is of what, course. what yeah, Congress he does, he, meant. He doesn't have to stick his neck out. Now yeah. he's got precedent. And, you know, eventually we have them hearings. And John Gleason tells me, he says, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the worst response I've ever seen. The prosecutor absolutely hates you. He's, he wrote in there this, the stuff that he said. He, he quoted some stuff like when I got in an argument with a cop and I told the cop to go suck my effing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, put the, he, he said, I have never had a prosecutor put stuff like that. You know, you got to be a little formal in federal court. Yeah. Um, he said, we're going to lose, man. He said, we're going to lose. Oh, my God. And at the end of it, they wanted me to testify on my own behalf. Mm-hmm. And they tell the judge, Marks is going to testify at the end of the government's you know, argument and proof. We decide I'm not at the last minute. And when we decide that we're not, the prosecutor hits the ceiling. He didn't ask the questions he wanted. He should have asked his witnesses because he was going to get me on the stand and ask me about the gang affiliation. He was going to take the pictures of my tattoos wow. and ask me when he should have asked the SIS and he fumbled. Wow. So now so that, that, was, that was a good move on Gleason's part. Very good move that I didn't testify. Wow. So then the judge pulls his glasses down and he looks at me. He says, come here, come up to this lecturer. You tell me why I should let you out of jail. You tell me right now why I should let you out of jail. I want to know now. And at first, I had this wonderful speech. If that ever happened, mm-hmm. I knew what I was. I couldn't talk. My mouth was dry. Yeah. And then when I did talk, I was said, well, your honor, I couldn't talk. Yeah. But eventually I did. I got myself together and I told myself in my mind, you've done this for thousands of people in yeah. prison. This is your chance to get out of prison. So you better talk. It was like I was slapping myself in the back. Yeah. And I told him why. I said, I'll never disappoint you. I'll never let you down. You know, if you made this decision, I won't embarrass you. Mm-hmm. I'm rehabilitated. I've changed my life. If this is just about punishment, then I deserve every day that I got. But if it's also about rehabilitation and turning your life around, I want you to know that I started that process. I appreciate what the framers made important, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I told them this. And then I waited eight, nine months after that hearing. And on 4 2020, wow. he grants my compassionate release, man. Wow. And eventually he calls me to his chambers to talk to me. And he says, look, I went out on a limb for you. You know, I went out on a limb because I had filed a motion to get off after two years, right? He said, I went out on a limb for you. He said, I want you to give me another year. He said, look at your two kids right here. This is your motivation. Going back to prison should never be an option. Failure is not an option for you. He said, you haven't disappointed me and you made that promise to me. that you." He said, that's what stuck with me. You told me you will not disappoint me. He said, and you haven't so far, but I want you to stay on track. Give me a year. And the government pretty much agreed that, they, that you know, in a year, we'll, we'll really consider it. Mm. So I filed a motion. I'm on to get off now. It's been another year. I've been out three years and three days or whatever. I'm on the, getting on the plane, and I get a text message from my lawyer. Hey, the government didn't agree, scumbags, right? Is what the what lawyer do, What do you mean? Me. You're already out, though. What, I'm what out is this? To, to release me off oh, federal off, probation. Off paper. Last Got year, it. they told the judge that Got they would it. really consider it. Yeah. And again, just How being, long is your tail? How long is five. paper? Okay. I've been out three, three yeah. years and some days. You got, by the way, speaking of unique- you got out like the, almost the same month of the same year, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. They were, yeah. COVID, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, the government, once again, it's personal. Why shouldn't I get off? I've mm-hmm. done everything that I'm supposed to do. Of course. You're making money. You got a business. I own a yeah. home. I'm married. Yeah. I got two children. Yeah. I'm haven't resorted back to crime. Of course not. Um, me and this kid got the same judge that I was in prison with did 15 years. He calls me the other day from the County jail. We got the same parole officer and he says, Hey, Chad, I'm in trouble, man. They found a brick in my trunk man. I need help. What's my mandatory minimum? I said, well, you got two priors. You're 851. It's going to be 25 years is your mandatory minimum. Oh, my God. We got out around the same time. He did 15 years. I did, what, 17 years and some change. And I honestly told him on the phone, I said, bro, I'm going to be honest with you. 
I feel bad for you that you're calling me and saying this to me. And I'm grateful that I no longer live that life, that I don't have to call someone mm-hmm. from the county jail that we spent years in together, mm-hmm. prisons that we've been together. We were in the same parole rehabilitation class once we got out. Yeah. I said, and you're back in prison, man. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think there's anything that I can do for you. Save your money and buy potato chips and sodas. Yeah. That's it. Oh, it's brutal. But I'm yeah. thankful, man. You know what I mean? Wow. So, uh, well, I, that prosecutor must be fuming, which I love. Does that make you feel good that he's just lost? Well, you know, you know, you know what, Johnny, it, you know, I always like despise this dude. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I think I told you, I did a video on my channel. I interviewed the dude that wore the wire on me in my case. Whoa. When I first ran into this cat, it was like, he was like, Hey Chad, I'm sorry. I said, man, you're a piece of shit. And then a year later I run into him. He waves me down and he's standing in front of a fentanyl house. Truck broke down. And he says, bro, I seen your YouTube channel, man. I want to apologize to you, man. Would you ever accept my apology? And you know what? For some reason in that moment, like I forgave him and he, he did a little, he's like, let me do a video real quick and say some things. He's like, I'm the piece of shit that sent Chad to, Chad to jail. And, wow. and then I end up interviewing him that evening at his house. Wow. Um, and then about two months ago, me and my wife would go to this real nice restaurant where we're from. I walk in and this lady's staring at me. I'm like, who the hell is this? I know her face. And she walks up and she says, Chad Marks. I said, yeah. She said, Terry Deercop, the case agent on my case. She's now a homicide detective. We talk. In my heart, I always had some animosity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, I'm going to take you to the prosecutor in a minute. And we talked for like 30 minutes. She said, Chad, I don't think that I grew up in, we grew up in the same neighborhood. She was a little older than me. She said, I don't think you deserve 40 years. She said, I'm sorry that you went to prison so long. Um, I feel like you deserve to go to prison. She said, probably 10, 12 years would have been good. Yeah. She said, your case always bothered me. And I'm happy to see that you're free. I'm happy to see that you're doing the right thing. I know that you're a dad. I'm happy that you're a father. You got two beautiful little twin boys. Like they, like they were checking me out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They also went to my wife who wasn't my wife anymore while I was in prison before I got out and asked her if, you know, she would give an affidavit against me getting out all kinds of shit. Right. No. And way. my wife told him, said, look, I'm done with that. That ship has passed. It's sailed. I don't want anything to do with it. They tried to get your wife to, to, the, to try to keep you in Yeah, that same lady because the <sighs> prosecutor had her go to my wife 20 years later. So all these people are conspiring against you. Yeah. Like, and you just forgive everybody. You know, you know what, dude? It's, I used to be a dude, honestly, and I'm not, you know, coming on your show and just kicking. Yeah. I used to be a dangerous dude, bro. I yeah, did but some by bad 2018, by 2018, 2019, you had almost a decade of good behavior in prison, you know, like, I, I don't the, know. It's such the, scumbaggery. This is the really thing about, is. this is the thing about freedom, right? You can't come out here and say, Hey man, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And you hate people and you're angry and yeah. you know, these people should die and he's a snitch and I should knock his head off. And what does that do for me? It sends me back to prison. Of course. Of course. So you know what? I felt like, man, I used to hold all that animosity in, but getting out of jail and appreciating your freedom mm-hmm. allows you to forgive these people, man. Yeah. I put myself in jail. Did they hammer me? Did they do dirty things to me? They did. It shouldn't have been that bad. I deserve to go to prison. I was 24 years old. I didn't deserve 40 years, bro. Mm-mm. I did not deserve a 40 year sentence. So anyway, you know, she's telling me, you know, that she don't think I deserve that much time. And of course, in my mind, I'm thinking my wife told me that you came to her house. You didn't think I deserve that much time, but you were still trying to keep me in there at 20. Yeah. So in my mind, I just told myself right in that moment, I said, you know what, man, forgive her at the end of the conversation, bro. She gave me a hug and Wish me the best. She actually gave me a hug, dude. Homicide detective yeah, in the city. it's weird. It's weird. And, and we did get into the white stuff. You know, usually you don't see white crack dealers. Mm-hmm. And we grew up in the same neighborhood. She took a different, she had a better family. She had a, she had a, 
a father and a mother. I came from a single mother that was on welfare and mm-hmm. she lived, you know, a mile and a half away from me, but we know the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Her family members were friends with my parent, with my stepfather who ended up having a stepfather later in life. Um, so, you know, when you sent someone to prison that you knew my story, yeah, you so understood it, but that was your job. It's just a very strange thing. I, to, to want somebody to languish in prison forever that to me, there's a special kind of hatred for that. It's true. I truly, I, I don't think it's a, I, I, unless your family's been a victim of crime, then you might want to be like, yeah, keep all of these people locked away forever. But I truly think there's an evil there's a, there's a hatred because, because prison is slavery in a way. And they, you know, they used to talk about the American South and, and yeah. American slavery. And, you know, these abolitionists would be like, it's not just the slaves that are, are living in bondage. The slave owners, the slave masters are, are locked in there with them. It's that kind of spiritual, yeah. uh, 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 uh death that you have when you wish oppression on somebody. Well, this is the deal, right? They have to end slavery, right? So they end slavery, whatever. Mm-hmm. Eventually it has to end. Right. Yeah. So now what they do is they build all these prisons. Right. And I talk about this in my book, uh, blood on the razor wire book. Go get it. Um, right, right from the beginning. And I talk about, you know, what it was it, in the beginning, it was not supposed to be punishment. It was supposed to be rehabilitation, but this was their way of eliminating Mm-hmm. You know, let's call it what it is. Yeah. Black folks, right? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's get these people out of here. Let's get them out of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, they committed a crime, so we got to lock them up to yeah. keep you safe. Yeah. Um, I think that, and it goes for whites, blacks, Mexicans, you have to have some type of criminal justice system, right? Of course. But you don't take a 19-year-old and give them 100 years. No. You just don't do that. No. Um, if you, if it's, it's unconstitutional. Unco- it's it's well, uh, cruel and unusual. Unusual punishment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that takes me back to that dude that does them documentaries. He went over to uh, Finland and he goes in their prison and he says, you know, what about this cruel, unusual punishment thing? You know, this guy murdered someone and he's only getting eight years. And they said, the difference between us and the United States is we are against cruel and unusual punishment, but we got it from you, from your constitution. The only difference is we apply it. You guys don't. Mm, yeah. That's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. Who's that dude that does them documentaries, the big heavy set dude and kind of dingy. Um, I don't know. Oh, I forgot his damn name. Michael, Michael Moore. Moore. There we Michael go. Moore. He does that documentary. Welcome right. to America. Uh, right. America. So he goes to all these European places. And- There's probably a happy medium, right? There's Europe. You know, we can't, we are not Finland. There's so many. Finland is a homogenous, very small, self-contained country. Uh, we can't be Finland. You kill somebody on the streets of Chicago. You got to do more than eight years or else everybody will do it. Yeah. You know, uh, and maybe, you, but what does it take to rehabilitate someone? Well, but there has to be, sure, but there has to be punishment, though. And the there victims of crime and, you know, screaming, crying black mothers on the south side of Chicago, they want cops more than ever. They're like, do something about this, right? Because they're, you know, they've, when they have a kid taken away from them, there there has to be retribution for that. There, there should be rehabilitation, but there's got to be a spanking, right? Or a, after all, what is... You know, like that's what people want. People want revenge at the end of the day. They want some kind of revenge. That's what it really comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, and it's a primal thing. I get it. Right. I I get wanting revenge for the death of your child. Right. He was murdered. Uh, But yeah, there, there has to be at what point has somebody uh, paid for it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all this has to be taken into consideration. Are they a threat to the public anymore? Have they, they paid uh, have the years that they've been down, uh, the su- superseded, uh, the, the life that they took. Right. Yeah. And in the drug law, the, 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 all these drug cases, it's just, 
it's like they ignored all of it and just flushed everybody down the toilet. Well, so I what mean, you're doing is very important. Um, but I, I, I don't want to wrap yet because I want to get back to, I want to get back to when you filed your motion. Cause this is fascinating when you file a, a motion, right? The, the compassionate release, do you actually get, do they, do they trans, do they take you from prison to the courtroom? They do that with everybody or do they just no. do that in your case? Not very seldom. They had two hearings in my case because the government was going so hard. Because they were trying to keep the government was trying to keep you in. Yeah, and they made those wow. allegations of selling drugs in prison and cell phones yeah. and you know gang affiliated, beating up minorities and yeah. homosexual. None of it. None of that's true. Right. It's all a lie. I got more black people out of prison. Taught more black people yeah. how to read and write than any other race, bro. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. So what were, I guess, what were some of the blemishes? What were some of the strikes on your record? Cause I know you, you know, you can't be down in the feds that long I mean, uh, in general population and not have some infractions. Well, what, I mean, what were they? I've had some infractions. I mean, I've had some write-ups for serious assault, some fighting, um, disrespecting staff or, you know, I mm -hmm. staff said I was going to try to fight him. Yeah. You know, I had that type of stuff. I had a bribery. Um, what was that about? <laughs> my celly is like playing around with this cop all the time. Right. And I'm like, dude, this dude's not your friend, bro. This, yeah. this cop's kind of young, you know? And, and he's always like joking around. I'm like, Fuck your mom. And you know, just crazy stuff. I should, probably shouldn't cuss, but mm. there's, you know, I'm like, dude, you shouldn't be really playing with the cop. Like that. he's like, bro, I can get this guy. Right. And I'm like, Oh yeah. So he talks to him. The cops tell him about how he has to pay for his college and you know, he's can't afford it. They just messed him up on his, you know, whatever he, you know, he was getting as far as money wise. And I said, well, tell him this, man. You know, tell him if he can bring in some tobacco, man, we can do this. So, you know, we send the cat the money and he gets scared. He won't bring it in. <laughs> so now we get to the point where we're kind of like, but it wasn't just me. I started after later on when I, I do 14 months in the hole over this. I start thinking that. Did he rat on you? No. Uh, he robbed get, everybody. How'd you get sent to the hole though for it? Well, someone else did. Another uh. prisoner that my Sally was telling our business to. Um, He denies it all the way. But at the end of the day, he robbed some other people too for bigger money than us. Mm. Um, there's this Dominican kid in there that was just getting, I'm not going to say his name, but he was getting serious money and through K2 and he ended up getting caught with $30,000 worth of stamps, bro. What an idiot. Why would you not sell $30,000 worth of stamps? <laughs> yeah, for real. He's got to hit him in the light box yeah. and the mattress, <laughs> yeah. you know, in his peanut butter jar, just baby powder. Yeah. Um, but this dude robs us. And you know what? I, I don't know if he told from what I gathered. But he was happy. That we all went to the hole for a K2 investigation. Mm. Um, and really, I mean, I'm not, I, I guess to a certain extent, maybe, but I shouldn't have been on a K2 investigation. Right. And then the bribery stuff comes out. Right. And I write, he did, he did tell on me, I shouldn't have said it because he turned the letter in. I wrote him in the hole and said, Hey, look, man, we could, you know, pretend this never happened. He was working in the hole. I said, we'll pretend this never happened. And you can uh, just send this money back to my mother. Oh, you sent a kite to the CO. Yeah. Got it. And he did turn the. Oh uh, shit. So then, were, and he was forced to write me up. He didn't want to get that money back, bro. He knows he stole the money. So he did turn in the letter that I wrote him. I'll send you the write up. But isn't that kind it. of implicating himself in 100%? You would think what an <laughs> yeah, idiot, right? Right. What? It, Cause I, and I thought that I tailored the letter where he couldn't turn it in because yo, and I wrote, dude, you want to know something I wrote in the letter? This is in the motion that the government filed against me right. too. They talk all about the bribery. I write his wife's name in there. So I'm like, dude, you can't turn this. How would I know your wife's name? Right. How would I know that you live in Buckeye, Arizona? <laughs> right. How would I right. know any of this shit? Right. So I put all that stuff in there to, to insulate me. Right. Right. I just want my money back, man. And the dude never, he turns the letter in and never get the money back. I'm in the hole for 14 months and 
I get transferred along with me and 30 other dudes. Yeah. They wrapped us all up in this big K2 investigation. Wow. Wow. That's not dangerous. I had nothing to do with it. Dangerous ripping off guys that are doing life, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But I started thinking that dude was a gangster. He was going to school to be a parole officer. Can you believe that? This is a guy that's going to be someone's parole officer. Yes, for real. Like these are the these are the kind of folks that they have working in the criminal justice system. Just just idiot scumbags. But now, now what do you have? So you have, you know, you've got some some strikes against you. But what what are the good things you've done in prison at this point when you're filing the motion? Uh, I told besides you. all of these cases, besides you okay. know, so I, I I got over 100 rehabilitative certificates. I started a fast track GED class where every one of my students that were in class for four or five years couldn't get their GED. Everyone got theirs on the within 89 days. It was a 90 day class. Um, they fired me after I did that because the staff didn't teach anyone. They sat in their office and were on their phones and video games on the computer and they didn't teach no one shit. So these dudes been in there for four years learning nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, I got all them dudes, their GED. And they just hated you for that. Right. Yeah. Um, I started, I facilitated alternative violence project seminar. I was a suicide companion, got a college degree in prison. Um, I wrote the reentry program at Raybrook with my buddy, Cedric Dean. I mean, I did a lot of stuff and the judge had everything. Wow. I had, I had been writing the judge letters for years. Wow. My boy told me, Hey, write that judge. I said, I'm not writing that dude. We go back to the animosity. He's like, you better listen to me, man. Write him and tell him what you've been doing. Okay, write him and send him that certificate. All right, write him and send him that college degree. And I did all that. Wow. And um, I think it all, in the end, my, my judge wrote me back a couple mm-hmm. times. He wrote a letter to um, Obama. He said, I have never, ever in my life made a request like this. I'm a Republican appointee. I think Ronald Reagan appointed. He put all that in the letter. He says, but I, if there's anyone that deserves clemency or deserves a second chance, I believe it's Chad Marks. Wow. So he wrote a letter supporting my clemency. Did you and ever I, see that letter? Yeah, I have a copy of it somewhere. Wow. I attached it to my motion and reminded the judge, remember you said this and the government's saying all this bad shit, but you did say this. You know, sometimes you feel like you want to lock the judge in and remind him of what he said before. Yeah, yeah. That's what we did. So do you remember the day that you found out you were going home? 100%. What happened? They knock on your, on your door? No. I get on the computer. You got 30 minutes on a computer. Where in are you prison. at this point? Federal prison. I'm at uh, well, FMC one? Lexington. Got it. So I'm writing all these emails because I'm always on. The is that road. a medium? No, it's a it's a it's a low, but it's a medical facility with dudes from the pen, dudes from dudes oh. with life are there, with dudes with a year, right. dudes with two years, dudes with fifty years. We're all mixed in, yeah, because it's a medical uh, right. prison. Okay, so I get I'm on the email and my time's running out. I got like two minutes left, and I see a tag come across, you know, in, like the title for your email, like "Hey Chad, we won." I'm like, "We won." Call me immediately. And I'm like. I, I couldn't even click. I'm like, oh shit, I'm running out of time and I'm trying to click the mouse. <laughs> yeah. I got to read this and I'm reading it and the computer goes, zoop, 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 shuts off on me. <laughs> but the person that wrote me and said, Hey, you know, we won call me was this chick that was helping me get out. She worked at the federal defender's office. Um, she was the office manager there for many, many years, very close to my judge actually met with my judge before I got out and brought him my record. She yeah. advocated for me. Eventually you know, things, she also did. She, she blew the judge. I know that for oh, a fact. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about that, but um, eventually, you know, she was an older woman. She <laughs> fell so stupid. She like fell in love with me, and and I was oh. like, I was like, this isn't, you know, this. But if you got to smash for your freedom, you'll smash eighty year old box. You do it. <laughs> well, she was like fifty, but anyway, okay. um, it was more of like, uh, um, and I told her, dude, and then things just soured. She was my business partner for many, many for, oh. for the first year and a half, two years. Oh, really? Um, and then she went her way, I went my way, and she got really nasty, and it, it, it went downhill because oh. she felt like, I'm the, and she would tell me, I'm the reason you got out of jail. And I'm like, well, not really. 
you did help. You advocated. Yeah. yeah. But I'm the one that like did all the programs. I'm the mm-hmm. one that wrote the motions. I'm yeah. the guy that really turned his life around. Mm. So that just kind of went bad. But yeah. So I call her. She that's who wrote me. Right. So I call her and she's like, You won. Oh my God, you're getting out. And they and they call me the next morning. Hey, you're leaving tomorrow. And I'm like, leaving tomorrow. They're like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they call me back and say, Oh, we miscalculated after I gave all my shit away. So oh. this is the crazy <laughs> part. So now they say, okay, you're getting out in 50 days, whatever it was. They come get me, put me in this special unit because of COVID. People that are leaving have to be in this unit for 14 days. Right. I can see people leaving. We're talking to them through the window. Hey, man, I'll see you later, bro. When they're walking, all right, bro. Then they're walking out. We see them, right? My day comes. That lady that I was talking about, yeah. she's there to pick me up. I see her. She's out of her car. They come get me. They're walking me out. And they call on the walkie-talkie. Stop him. What? There's an appeal. They just filed an appeal. Stop him immediately. The, this is the this is the shit, Johnny. I got a lot of time, and them cops like respected me a little bit, right? Yeah. The dude's like, "Hey, you got clothes?" I said, "No." She's got him in the car. I told her not to send it. I'm just gonna we'll go to a hotel and I'll change and shower and mm-hmm. we'll drive to New York. If I had clothes, I would have been released before they called. He said, "Well, let me get these dudes that got the clothes, and then I'll got you, bro." All right. And I'm like, "Yeah, no problem, man." So now I'm walking out, and they called and did that to me. Sent me back in the jail. My lawyer now says, "Look, bro, we're gonna file interlocutory. They filed an appeal. We're gonna we're gonna object to this." So they can appeal your the the judge's release decision. Yeah. decision? And, and my you judge, have to wait. How well, is that possible? Well, they asked the judge first to stop it to stay the decision. The night I'm supposed to get, I don't know this because I don't have access to a phone. I'm right. in a special unit getting ready to leave. Right. Um, and my judge wrote, he said, "I cannot believe that the government, on the eve of his release, would do what they did in this case. You had two months to do this. You waited until right. the last day." to do something to him mentally, physically, emotionally. Yeah. And we'll get back to what you asked earlier about the prosecutor in a second. Yeah. Um, they did it to be nasty. So now my lawyer's like, look, man, this is a serious issue. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. And I think if it goes to the Supreme Court, we're probably not going to prevail. I think this shit's going to get shot down in the Supreme Court, and they're going to say that judges don't have the authority. So you're probably going to be in jail for another year, year and a half. you got to hang in there before we find out. Oh, my. And are you just, like, devastated? Devastated. I bro. mean, can't eat, can't sick, sleep. bro. Sick. Three weeks later. They, my my lawyer did appeal it. Big shot in New York, right? Yeah. He appeals it, and we win. Gleason. And re- Gleason. And they yeah. released me three weeks later. Now, while I'm out, the government is filing their appeal. They're going through it, and in a different case wins, U.S. versus Brooker, J- Jeremy Zulo, who's also my buddy. And the government comes back. They lose that, and they say, we're not going to appeal Chad's case. He's free to go. Right. So I'm free to go, but they've always had that hook in me. Right. And when you ask about the prosecutor, I want to tell you that I hate the dude, right? Yeah. Like he's, you know, he's nasty, and he's a vigilante, and he's a piece of shit. Um, he may be all those things, but I don't have animosity towards the dude no more. I don't know why. No, I think you should feel bad for him. I, I think he's, I think he's a miserable, it takes a miserable kind of per, human being yeah. to, to, to act like that. I think you should have compassion for him, to be honest with you. That's the highest level of, uh, you know, vibration that I you want to be working a, on. I think I just more of a like forgiveness, like I don't even care. Bro. So is that standard though? If they appeal, how can they appeal the judge's decision? He's the final say. Well, he's not. The appellate court's the final say. Oh, so, but you, so, the Supreme Court. So is have. that standard then? If you, no, they it's, have, not. it's not standard. So most of, most of the time they let, they don't appeal. I've never met anybody that was walking home. They filed oh, that Wow. So they let these gangbang, not even gangbangers, these kingpins just out and they make Chad Marks wait in there until the appeal goes through three more weeks. Yeah. That's crazy. Which, would have, which everyone thought would be a year, year and a half. Do you think it's because of all your work getting people out? No, not at all. Why, why do they have a grudge against you? 
Do you just I, got bad luck because you had the prosecutor that had it out for yeah, you? Yeah, I have the worst prosecutor probably right. in the whole state. Maybe the whole one of the worst in the state, probably top five. Right. Um, this is the same prosecutor that almost got in a fist fight with a prominent defense attorney in my city. Um, very nasty to the judge. The judge had to tell him a couple times, hey, you know, we don't talk like that during the hearing. Right. Because you got to remember, my my lawyer was a he's a former federal judge. Like he's up mm -hmm. here, dude. Like mm -hmm. he's well respected. And the the prosecutor's like, well, this guy said. You know, and whatever he, and he does this with his hand. And, and my, my judge says, you know, we try to keep it a little respectful and a little formal around here, Mr. Rodriguez. Mm. That's what we try to do in my courtroom. Yeah. Pretty much admonishing him to, you know, don't act like a kid. Mm. Yeah. He had a very bad temper, angry person, um, maybe not happy in life. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So, so you had to wait another three weeks sit yeah. with no, nothing on you. You gave all your shit away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I got. Did you have to go back and be like, "Hey, man"? Could you, could well, you, I didn't give it to like ten different people. I, I gave it to two of my boys. <laughs> I had a nice white G-Shock watch, which is big money in federal prison. Uh, so Oakley sunglasses, shit people don't have. I had, so yeah, I got all. That's shit so back. funny, dude. Oh my god. Okay, so now how many cases since being out? You've been at home three years, over yeah. three years. How many cases have you uh, tried and won since then? Well, not necessarily try. Not but, try, but how many how many motions have you won? Um, probably more than I could even recall. Mo more than when you were down. Yeah, I just I yeah I went all the time. I right. just won the other day, like I said, Gregory Miles. Yeah, went in at twenty six. Just got thirty three years off his sentence. For he what? Um, that was through the nine twenty four C stacking. For what? What did he go in for? Robbery with guns. Okay. Oh, that that was the reverse. They were, they were setting up the no, robbery. This is a different guy that was just out robbing people when he was twenty six years old and got oh, okay. like ninety years on her ears. Right. Okay. So wow. I've just won that case. So now that you're, but you have more cases, way more cases now than when you were down. Of course. Cause you have the, the ability to just make scale out of it. You yeah. can scale the business. Well, yeah. I want a business now. Do you, and you're doing great. You're making tons of money. Um, what? Can we take that part out? Yeah. <laughs> no, you pay your taxes. You're good, a law abiding citizen. Do you work with attorneys? Do you have business partners? Um, I work with attorneys all over, right? Um, and most of them are very receptive. I have other attorneys that actually hire me sometimes. Right. To, um, to, to write the motions? Or yeah. just to do like the, the legwork? To write like, motions and, and all kinds of things. Actually, I was actually hired, man, as a consultant on, I wasn't supposed to talk about this, but pretty much, you know, I'm done with it. Um, on the MS-13 and the Mexican mafia dudes that got killed at Beaumont. Oh, so I, didn't I was hear about hired. This. Can I was you tell us about this case? Um. Well, uh, a Mexican mafia dude gets killed and a Sereno gets killed. Some people are arguing that he wasn't Mexican mafia, but the MS-13 ends up allegedly killing this guy. It's a death penalty case down in Texas. Marsha Crohn's the judge. Um, but the people that were, were going to pay me or pay me was the court. So they was do what? The court. The court was writing the check from the federal government. Oh, wow. For me consulting with the attorneys. Oh, interesting. Helping so them understand, you know, some of the law stuff, some of, you know, the stuff that's been going on oh, with prison. Wow. Um, that's fascinating. Politics, so look like at that. you, you're now like doing some work for the same people that kept you down all those years. Well, it's a criminal defense attorney. I'm not working for the prosecution. Right. No, no, no. Of course. Of yeah. course. But still the, still the money coming from the same place. Yeah. Uh, and you're working on that now. I was. Yeah. Wow. What was that? Did they get adjudicated? Um, I think they're going to end up going to trial. Maybe our guy is going to maybe plea cop out. Yeah. Not get the death penalty. Hopefully. Cause the death penalty is pretty rare in, in federal the federal well, system, right? not down there and not with this judge. Right. Oof. Going to hang somebody she, down there. She gave one of a kid that I was friends with, Ricky Fackrell, soldiers of Aryan culture. She gave him a death sentence. 
about 15 years ago. So he's still on death row, probably are, less than that. Are you appealing? Do you get uh, death penalty cases? No. You, you don't that was the those? first time I ever worked on a case like that. Oh, okay. Okay. Do you, do you see cases a lot where you're just like, I, I can't take this because I'm going to lose? Oh, I mean, all the time. I yeah. tell people, look, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear so you can give me your money. Right. I tell you what it is. I know what it's like to be in there to struggle and call a lawyer and they say, well, you got 30 grand and you're like, no, I don't. Right. Well, you could probably win if you had, you know, me and you can come up with 30,000. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what it is. If I don't think I can win, I got plenty of business. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, save your money. You know, take your kids to Disney World. Right. Um, I'm yeah. sorry, but Johnny's not getting out. Right. From what I've looked at. And right. this is the re and I, and I write reports and I tell you why he's not getting out. Mm -hmm. I don't just say it. I mean, mm -hmm. This is why. Um, do you do you want to be a lawyer? Could you be an attorney with one, your sheet? One hundred percent, I could be a lawyer. My Sean Hopwood, one of the best lawyers in the country, did 11, 12 years for armed bank robbery. He's been on sixty minutes. Law professor at Georgetown now. Wow, one of the best, probably post conviction criminal defense attorneys in the country. Brandon Sample, probably the best post conviction attorney in the country. Former federal inmate wasn't you know went to prison for robbing post offices and fraud whatever, but you know, he's one of the best. So do you think you'll do that? You think you, no, I don't, you, want you to. don't have any ambitions to go to law school? It's a long process. Well, you know, if I did, I think it would be a waste of time because my prosecutor would do everything he could to stop me from being admitted by the bar. Right. Oh my and he God. would pull in all kinds of stuff. You You'd know, have gang to get violence. A, right. He's a bad guy and he's really not rehabilitated. Could, and, could you get it? Could you get it in a different state theoretically? Or could he still, cause he's federal, he could appeal yeah, I mean, wherever, wherever. I mean, I'm sure that he would, you know, have some input. Is he still working? When he's is this actually, guy going to retire? He's, he's actually the supervisor now. Oh my God. <laughs> oh dude. Upstate New York is just hopeless. What, uh, what does that mean? He supervises the, the other prosecutors. Yeah, he's the boss. Oh my God. At the Rochester office. Uh, and Buffalo. I think he's like second in command in Buffalo and full command in Rochester. Unreal. Why don't you put some paperwork on him? Why don't you sue? I don't want no Put issues. Put an investigation. You can't sue them in their individual capacity. They're protected by the law. Wow, man. Uh, what a, what a fascinating life. What a, what a turnaround. Yeah. You know what I mean? I did turn my life around, bro. Yeah. You know, and I help people just like, you know, do you have regrets? Do you feel like, uh, do you have regrets? Do you wish that you'd had, you wish you could have gone to law school and had both parents and do you ever let that eat away at you or do you just keep it pushing? It don't eat away at me. Do I have regrets? Of course. But you know what? I probably wouldn't be the person I am today. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish I never sold drugs. I wish I didn't come from a single mother household. I wish, you know, my mom used to tell me, you know, you're going to, she told me you're going to end up dead or in prison for the rest of your life this year. And that was the year I went to prison. Yeah. She said, you're not going to make it another summer. You're going to kill someone or someone's going to kill you. She didn't think I'd go to federal prison. Yeah. But that's what she thought. Um, do I have regrets? Let me tell you this. I make more money now than I ever made selling drugs. Might be hard to believe, but it's the truth. Yeah. Um, and I make a, I make a legal living. I'm a father to two little twin boys with the woman that I, you know, was married to before I went to prison and right. we got a divorce and I was heartbroken over it. And then we got reconnected. We had two little boys. Yeah. You know, we hit a couple rough patches here and there, um, recently, but I think <laughs> that we, uh, we kind of like worked that out, you know, yeah. and, and I needed to come here and hit California and, yeah. you know, and come see you. And I had something else I was doing here. And, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to talk prison stories, uh, on the Patreon. So go over to patreon.com slash the connect show. Uh, cause Chad, Chad's got some pretty gnarly, unbelievable prison stories. Um, but man, that is, uh, that's just so fascinating, bro. And you know, we are honored to have you out here. So thanks for making the trek.
Well, I definitely appreciate you. Yeah, you got it, man. Keep fighting the good fight. You know what I mean? For sure. And we'll see you guys. Oh, and I'm sorry. We got to do plugs. Plug your channel. Plug your book. Plug away. Go with this guy. Go ahead. Blood on the Razor Wire TV. Um, mission is to save kids from life imprisonment, premature death in the streets. We make a little money, not the money we wish we made. But you know what? When I make money, I do a lot of stuff with the community. And I, I don't put it all on video, but I do put some of it so people know what we're doing. Also, my paralegal company, Freedom Fighters PC at gmail.com is my email. Mm-hmm. Um, and the website's freedomfighterspc.com. Chad Marks 102 is um, my Instagram. Yeah. Um, We're going to put all that in the description. And if you have somebody that uh, is fighting their case that's down, you know, we have a lot of people, a lot of listeners that probably have people on the inside. Uh, they can reach out to you. They can just email you, right? Yeah. Okay. Freedomfighterspc at gmail.com. There we go. Okay. Well, all right, my man. All right, thank uh, you. Come over, switch over to the Patreon, and uh, thank you for watching, you guys. Peace out.